hand into the fire. Run. Run! Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Out of the Frying Pan, a Middle-Earth strategy battle game podcast. The board is set, the pieces are moving, we come to it at last, the great battle of our time. How's it going, Dan? Yeah, really good, really good. Still can't believe we're racking through this many episodes, so it's not even been 12 months yet. We're on episode 18, uh, fast catching Harry up. So uh, he needs to crack on a little bit more. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm really good. That's a bit harsh on Harry because the content of his show based around him going to events and uh, the uh, a global pandemic puts the brakes on, on him a little bit. So, <laughs> so, Oh, he's got that silken radio voice. I'm sure he can entertain us in, in a myriad of other ways. He can, uh, you know, use that uh, keen uh, local radio uh, voice of mine to give us a lot more content go on Harry go on show yeah. something new he, he's definitely got the I, I love the 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 very typical local BBC radio presentation style of, I, I, and I don't mean that in a, in a jokey way I, I love it I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, I'm a fan of BBC radio I listen to a lot of local radio for cricket and things like that and I and I, I love the way that comes across in that mood so international listeners have probably got no idea what I'm talking about but the way Harry talks is just the way local radio presenters talk from the BBC in the, in the UK it's absolutely fantastic, fantastic. and then there re- there's a reason for that because that's what his day job is anyway um, I have all the kit, but not the skill or the presentation skills, as as uh, as, as well as, as I'm making very very well apparent at this moment in time. So let's just go through what we've got coming up in the show, as per usual, and then we'll take a little break. So um, today we have many meetings with Dan and I are going to do our usual and talk about what we've been up to since we last recorded, and it's maybe only a week since we recorded last. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether we've got anything. Um, and then for our main topic to topic today um there may be a little hint from the the intro there we were we're going to be talking about helms deep um so previous listeners to the show will be well aware that we're planning a, a big game of helms deep i'm um, using the helms deep model i built earlier in the year currently working on on painting armies for it um so the plan is if we can if covid allows to get together later on this year and, and play a really big siege game you know we're talking uh, maybe the defenders close to 2,000 points and obviously the attackers quite a little bit more so it's going to be a really, really big game. Uh, and we want to make sure that the scenario is perfect and, and the latest um, the latest uh, War in Rome book's got a fantastic um, scenario in there but we're probably going to adapt and expand on that even further. Um, as a part of doing that, we, um, we're going to be looking at all of the old battle reports that we could find from White Dwarf and things to do with Helm's Deep, older scenarios from Helm's Deep, um, kind of really delving into it and, and discussing what bits we liked, what bits we don't like, and and looking at the, 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 the latest official scenarios and then talking about how we're going to kind of combine them all and, and make our ultimate scenario to rule them all. Um, so that's uh, what we'll be talking about a little bit later on. But right now we'll go for a break and we'll come back for many meetings. Incom Gaming, the new centre for tabletop wargaming in Gloucestershire. Visit incomgaming.co.uk for great savings on pre-orders and all your hobby needs. We stock many gaming systems and hobby accessories and can ship to anywhere in the UK. 
market-leading gaming mats from GameMat.eu. Visit the store and check out how to turn your tabletop into a battlefield. Incom Gaming is based in the centre of Cheltenham and offers tables and scenery for casual and organised play with a fully licensed bar. Check out our events page for upcoming events where everyone is welcome. Visit incomgaming.co.uk. Incom Gaming. Come game, shop, drink. And we're back after that very short break into the show proper, so to speak, into the many meeting segments. So we're going to have a little catch up and a bit of another about what we're doing in the last week or so since we last recorded. Um, so, Dan, what have you what have you done since we uh, since we chatted a week ago? I've actually painted quite a lot of dog order. Um, I've gone from sort of faffing about with them to pretty much um, being done. Uh-huh. So I uh, did the keeper a little while ago, although I have ordered the new one. Mm, so I might paint a really second nice. one and see which one I like best. Uh, I've converted uh, my Sauron slash Necromancer. Um, I may or may not put him on the social medias. I'm not sure how much of this army I'm going to disclose ahead of time because there is the thought of Throne of Skulls at some point and doing a really nice board and, you know, seeing where I place in the world of Middle-earth in terms of my painting. <laughs> it's difficult, um, isn't it? It's really difficult to know what to do with that, especially as we talked about it a lot, about when are we is it going to be with this year? So do you want to keep it a secret all the way through till potentially winter 2021, so to speak? But there's been snippets of things showing my Instagram. I've put a few little bits. Yeah, this is not kind of uh, up close and fully lit sort of type pictures where people can get the full kind of effect. But the stuff you've the stuff you're doing is brilliant, and the uh, your your um your necromancer conversion is is rather spiffy. Yeah, he was a, a pain in the bum. Um, trying to grind a good chunk of that necromancer model down um, with a Dremel was an exercise in well <laughs> misery. If I'm honest with you. Um, what was the hardest part to work with? Because it was half metal, half um, fine cast, wasn't it? Sorry, um, oh, I was able to present. cut the fine cast to pieces with the just the hobby saw. Yeah, that wasn't a problem at all. It was um, because of the way that the necromancer's body goes together. Obviously, anyone who's looked at this model will, will know that the, sort of the, the front piece and the back piece go together. Yeah, it's pretty much sort of the chest and sort of lower body, etc. Um, is one big plate that goes on onto the sort of the back piece, which is sort of the broad sort of cloak that always comes up like the cobra's he- uh, hood. Yes, yeah. See, that's where I can kind of describe it. The, all of the back piece almost goes up like a, that shape and it just slaps itself on the front. But it's got these two sort of sweeping curves that come forwards to, to meet the front. So it forms that sort of body shape. And it basically forms these two sort of curved ridges that run almost the, the length of the model or right. the back piece, which is the principal part of what I used from the actual Necromancer model because it is... But you know, it is the the bulk of the model, so I had to pretty much grind those ridges all the way back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then I could apply bits of sour onto it, and then there's a lot of green stuff, a lot of resculpted bits and pieces in there, and I had to build up all of his sort of um, best place, sort of his collarbone area and folds of cloth, and blend that into what was there to um, build up almost the entire upper arm and area where it meets from the shoulder down to the elbows. So uh Sauron's arms can sit and because there is a slight scale disparity between the two, the Necromancer is very slight compared to Sauron who's just a big dude in armor. And to be fair, actually one of the worst bits was trying to grind the ring off his finger. Oh god. <laughs> I had to I had to I had to, I had to, I had to scrape that away bit by bit. 
And because it's fine cast, there is always a risk there's a bubble in there and it'll shatter. Yes. So I had to be very careful with that. Luckily, there wasn't any bad warping or miscasting or um, visible bubbles in the mould. I think fine cast has come a long way. I was actually working for the company when first Finecast first came out. Yeah. And I remember absolute horror shows of the particularly um the Warhammer forty thousand they did uh, Vanguard Veterans, which for those who don't know, they're this space marines with jump packs on. And these jump packs have air intakes that are sort of basically just like ribbed. Yeah. And they were almost universally miscast. Almost every single one was miscast. So uh they have to be replaced and that one would be miscast and replaced and replaced and replaced and replaced. Uh, it was just a never-ending nightmare. I spent more time on the phone to customer services trying to organise uh, replacement <laughs> jump packs for things than I did actually doing any other part of my job. Yeah, so, uh, Funcast has come a long, long way in that in that time. So, I'm, I'm quite. I was actually really pleased. I was a little bit worried about buying something like Sauron in um, Finecast. Even um, Elendil in Isildur, yeah. really, really well cast. They're really nice. Don't know what I'm going to do with those yet, but I'm sure I can find a use for them. Um, the Numenor will always be a temptation, so I can always use the heads and make, you know, the mounted ones that people do using that, LSR. That's a good shout, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. If not, you can always sell them. I'm sure people will be, be interested in them. But, you know, using the mounted ones, that would be a very good idea, I think. And you never know, you might pick up you might pick up a normal Sauron at some point anyway and want to, um, and you get the whole lot again, so to speak. So you really have just got them for your bit spots, Ben. Well, I think I probably will end up doing a, a a normal Sauron at some point for my Mordor forces. So yeah, yeah, it, it's the easiest model in the world to paint as well. It really <laughs> is. It's so easy to paint. It's two colors, pretty much. Yeah, silver. I like I like painting models with large amount of metal on. Um, I'm very comfortable painting metals. I've got methods I use. I sort of over and over again, and uh, um, and enjoy it as well. So it's uh, it's nice if you've got a model with lots of metal and then a really nice, good contrasting color. I suppose it's a shame sometimes when it's black robes because um, you don't see the detail until you get right quite close. Sometimes they're quite hard to, to photograph and make stand out. So it's really nice when you can put a brighter color there, but obviously that doesn't really work for uh, the, the denizens of, of, of Mordor or Baradur or anything like that. And they need to be nice. Yeah. Um, I did sort of have a bit of a, a wobble over that because he is quite, you know, limited in palette Yeah. Uh, with the one I've painted. I did look at the idea of doing sort of an internally source lit. So like light, the, the sort of the flame of the eye of Sauron is glowing from within is particularly that sort of the helmet and the eyes. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 there's not enough space in it to do it justice. Yeah. I'm with you. So it's actually an really incredibly gonna... detailed face and it just ended up looking like um, flaming nostrils and eyes. <laughs> and that's about it. Um, other, or it looks like you've pin lined it with, bright red and again that's not really what i was going for with it so i i went with keeping it more subtle yeah. um something more sort of ethereal um ghostly but also sort of the grave um the risen so that the, that's the next thing is uh, fully applying in the um the dirt and the mold i've had to order some paint for that because i had a discussion with a mate dan uh dan wheeler um we were d- discussing uh green paints on one of the hobby hangouts we we had and he mentioned a legion green which is a color i don't own so i'm going to pick that up uh-huh. uh, i have the day off tomorrow because uh, i'm still not working full-time yet so i'll uh i might pop down to the local g-dub and uh see if they've got that in stock and just pick that up 
Oh, it'll be interesting to see what you come up with then. There's um, I'd be tempted to look at some effects paints from from other manufacturers. Um, yeah, there's um, a couple that are done by uh, Mig and mm-hmm. um, AK that may be of use. I'm going to try on all the models first. I've got other spare robed models. Yeah, because it just might give you give you. I don't know. I've got um. I think it's Moss. There's a company called Model Mates. Well, there was a company called Model Mates, I think, and they disappeared for ages. And they did like rust and mold and all these wonderful kind of. I think they're kind of solvent based as well, but these wonderful effects paints that are really really good. Um, and then they went. They sort of disappeared. Um, I'm pretty sure that you can buy them again if you search Model Mates now. But I've I've got a couple, but one's a Moss, I think. But you could use it for sort of a lighter mould. I, I used to have a mould. I don't think they make it anymore. The mould was brilliant. It was a really good green and it was sort of, it's just really easy to get a good effect out of. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I'd, I'd often... Glaze them in, I think. Build them up. That's, that's, and that's the other way of doing it, isn't it? It's just, I was just thinking about the difficulty of doing it over um, the base that you have, you've got, the darker colours. Um, makes it harder to show, doesn't it? You always need think, to go lighter, yeah. and that's the problem. If you wanted to see, so you ha- if you had white robes and you wanted to have that kind of bluing, molding effect, um, you think of damp and and mildew, and you know, I don't know, say if an old rundown house or something where there's white curtains up, but and it just be an abandoned house, and the windows are cracked, and the rain's getting in, and over years that mold's grown in the damp, and there's marks and stuff. Over lighter colours, it'd be really easy to do that, and you could do exactly what you said, but glaze it in. But it's still, I'm not saying you can't do what you're suggesting, but it's definitely going to be harder to make it visible because you need to make it lighter, don't you? Um, yeah. And mold is Although being quite subtle might not darker. necessarily be a bad thing. No, no, not at all, not at all. But you, you, it's that kind of balance, isn't there, between ultra realism and subtle, but enough contrast to to to, to be visible. Um, you almost have to go beyond the scale of the miniatures sometimes with the colour choices you make and the, and the boldness of what you choose to do in order to make it stand out. So it's a really tough balance between, as I say, making it kind of almost perfectly as it would be, but most people never seen it picked up in a photograph, so to speak. But that might be the cool thing, is that people only get to see how really cool it is when they when they actually get to look at your models in, in real life. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that I can always add more, but once it's on, I can't take it yeah, back off again. You def- so def- definitely play with it, but I, I'd, yeah, as I said, I'd be tempted to look at some some of those effects, even if some of the rust effects and things you can do, because uh, they just add a bit of texture as well as the colour of a lot of them, and, and then they might sort of make it stand out rather than just, just, just paints, rather than doing it very old school. But we all work in different ways, so to speak. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I'll, I'll resu- uh, I will... Uh, look at all options mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or investigate all options or I mean, I've been, I've been enjoying following you time. doing it anyway, it's been really nice when you're sharing the pictures with it and I'm really love what you've done so far and I, I hope I hope that we get to go to Phonus Goals this year or that, that when if they, they do it next year but they don't maybe they do it out of sync next year because there's been a gap maybe they try and um, run it but run it earlier in the year i don't know i don't know what they would do you think you can revert to normal couldn't you if it didn't happen this year and just go right we're not going to do it or they could we're not going to do it till the following december and you've missed one or they could say well you know all right to do it from january and or february and we'll start with throwing a skulls um or we'll do two throwing a skull who knows but uh it's 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 tough not knowing because i really want to get going on my board once i finish the helm's deep stuff but then if I know that Throne of Skulls isn't going to happen, 
I'm still going to do what I've got planned, but I'm just going to slow it down a little bit so that I don't finish it all ready for Christmas and then sit looking at the army for a year. I'll actually kind of take the process into into next year, so to speak, and do other things. Um, anyway, so I've interrupted you in the middle of your uh, you, your talk about that. Oh no, no, it's, it's all it's all relevant. Uh, it kind of brings me to sort of one of the sort of things that. Uh, has sort of come up in the last week or so. Um, some people may be aware of uh, a chap called Winters SEO. He pretty much does 40K exclusively. So like, he was well off my radar, but he's sort of come about. Um, he did his video talking about six years of doing his YouTube channel, which, you know, in itself is pretty cool. You know, that's, that's fairly long in the tooth for a lot of um, ongoing uh, YouTube channels running sort of battle reports and things. But then he was talking, he came out and was talking about, um, about his depression. and. Don't be wrong, I'm not going to start saying about myself. I think we all have good and bad times, but it, I think it is quite nice that those conversations are being had in public, and I think this is a very difficult time for everyone. Um, um, we've had some discussions recently about the fact that because we've not got these events to look forward to, it does rob you of some of that, that joy and that excitement. The motivation is harder to come by. Yeah. I mean, yes, we're lucky because we've got the cast, and it, it gives us a bit more structure because we're we've got something to look forward to recording. We've got something to prepare for. We've got something to say, or we've done something for, but it must be quite tough for a lot of people. So I, I think it's, it's pretty cool that people are going out there to, you know, say these, you know, quite honest truths about the, the way life is at the moment, about the way they feel. And on conversely, on the other side, there's someone who Damien's, uh, uh, recently found and I've recently found as well. Um, Goober Town Hobbies. Yeah, I hear um, you guys keep mentioning this. The nicest voice to, in the world. I need to go and search for this because I've not seen it at all. I'm actually writing it down now to go and anyway carry on. He, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. I've got a lot of time. Um, well worth watching. He, I don't, at least to my knowledge, he's not done anything Middle Earth related. But uh, you can just fall asleep listening to him. It's brilliant. Got a bit <laughs> of a man crush on him. If I'm honest with you, <laughs> he's a, he's a, but he's one of those genuinely wholesome hobbyists, and it's. It's really nice that there's a lot of stuff out in the community that's promoting positivity and also talking about the negativity uh, negativity of life and how hobby can help it. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. sort of, you know, it's a, it's a better showcase for what the hobby can provide than some of the negativity that kicks about occasionally. So, um, again, on that note, um, Battle Streams in Middle Earth now have a Patreon, which we have both joined. Yes, we have. So obviously, Bass Streams in Middle Earth, you know, massive props to Steve and Damien for, you know, getting us through a lot of this uh, lockdown, furlough, or whatever you want to call it, the COVID-19 landscape, by providing sort of moments in our in our time uh, where we get together with like-minded people and have a laugh and talk about slippers and chocolate bars and all sorts of other silly things, and sometimes <laughs> about hobby as well. And paint some models, and they decided to take that a step further, and now have their Patreon, which, uh, you know, as I said, we've both we've both joined. Um, it, there's a now a, a Patreon sort of chat, which sort of keeps that really awesome live chat that goes along during the battle streams episodes, and it continues it. So, it, you know, you, there's people chatting away in there, and it's not again not all serious. There was quite a lengthy discussion about um, pretzels and uh, American combos which I know Sam is quite an aficionado of. Um, so that's been really, really fun. Um, and they've moved their channel 
Uh, so rather than being uh, on the GBHL um, YouTube channel, they have created their own channel for Bass Streams Middle Earth, which I would, you know, I'd encourage everyone to go and uh, subscribe to on YouTube and join in if you're free on the evenings at which they run it. You'll see the work in progress threads for those in the GBHL uh, Facebook group, which would be interesting. I wonder if no one's raised that, have they? Whether those will still be in there. I'm guessing they might be. Um, so, so a couple of things on that. They they're moving at the moment. They're still going to be um, hosting those streams on the GBHL, uh, the Great British Hobby League podcast channel, YouTube channel. Um, I think they aim to move it over in a few few episodes of time. I don't think it's going to be mm. from the next one they do. Um, and and I think they said they were still going to be sharing the the link to the stream in the Great British Hobbit League podcast channel's Facebook page. Um, but obviously the Great British Hobbit League is named the same thing, but it's um, not it's not linked to the YouTube channel. So it's the GBHL YouTube channel as the Great British Hobbit League um, Facebook group. And they are separate entities. Um, so they will still... Be... Every day, I thought it was the same thing. It's, <laughs> yeah, and, and I can imagine coming in, you know, coming in sort of cold as you did. Uh, well, not even, is it a year ago now? But it's, it's... Not even quite, I don't think. Those things could be a bit confusing. So the Great British Hobbit League is just the big, what I say, I think it's now second biggest. I think the, the, the Rocks um, page might have a few more people on, but was the biggest for a long, long time. Um, general um, Middle-earth strategy battle game on at, at this moment. Um, uh, group. Well, and it's a worldwide group as well. So some people think, well, do I join it? Because it's is it based on the British League? Um, I think it was just set up that way because it was originally, I don't know, someone's going to correct me now, I think originally it was set up around the growth of the league and things as well, but it is just a generalised um, generalized group. So the, the GBHL podcast YouTube channel is a separate entity. Um, and uh, Steve and... Um, and Damien weren't the original people. They came on a little bit later there. So, but it's only them really doing any any content for it now. So, I th- and they don't have from what they were saying. And if you go and watch the the latest the recording from the latest stream, anyway, they they tell it better than we are. But they don't have any control over the channel. I don't think that you know they can if they forget the login, they have to go back and ask um, Jamie Giblin, I think it is, for how to how to log back in and that kind of stuff. And they go and get to see the all the detail kind of. Um, statistics you get when you when you have a YouTube channel. So I know this because I've started one recently. But you you can kind of go on and see all your downloads. You can see what the demographics of um, the people who have watched your channel. Surprisingly enough, a hundred percent male for us. Um, <laughs> and I know there's quite a few female uh, female SBG players, but um, none of them are watching our YouTube channel apparently. Um, uh, anyway, as I digress a little bit, you um, get Sam on there. <laughs> <laughs> we do, yeah, definitely, Mister September. Um, so I think that that's that's one side of things. So they're not falling out with with, with the GBHL YouTube channel as a thing, but it's it's hard of as they're the only ones doing this thing, and and because this stream's grown so much for them, I think they thought, well, it just we might as well just make a new home for it. Um, and and now they'll you know they probably won't take every single subscriber over because a lot of the subscribers probably for that YouTube 
channel, the GBHL one, or people that subscribed years ago, maybe don't even check back anymore. I know that I've got millions of subscriptions at the moment on YouTube and some of the channels I've not watched for a couple of years. So that tends does tend to happen, but they get a massive amount of downloads. Forget how many people they have watching the stream. I, mean, I think they have between 40 and 60 people on the stream, depending on the time of night. And that's people watching it live, but very quickly. I looked the other day, and within like 24 hours, I've got six, 700 um, views of that same channel replayed. So there's there's a good core of people there that will i imagine subscribe to the new channel straight away but i don't think they're doing it straight away um the best thing to do is go and re-watch that um stream for that night when they do the announcements and they go through in, in proper detail and explain it all um about why they're doing it um but essentially it's to give themselves a little bit more control about um the, the you know the data around it they're still gonna they're still members of the the, the gbhl podcast channel i think damien's if he does a palantir 100 and more they will plant here will still be the um home will be, still be at that channel they're just going to move battle streams into a separate one for now and, and they might say they said they might do a little bit of extra content on there so exciting stuff it's basically more content um we're going to get more if anything so all good um but yeah it was a good good stream to watch um and um i, I'm not, I don't I haven't done a patron for ages and i thought wow you know what I love watching this. It's something I really, really look forward to. Um, probably in the same way as I used to look forward to watching a new planter when it came out. Um, so it's something I look forward to each sort of fortnight and settling down and watching it. And, um, you know, perks from being a, a uh, you know, a patron supporter are good, I think, at the level I've gone in and get some dice. So fantastic. And anything to help them out and uh, they can produce a bit more stuff. So all good. If you if you uh, aren't already, go and check the latest one out on, on YouTube and consider joining the patron um but not till after the weekend because that and the more people that join now we have less chance of, of winning the the um the, the new keeper only joking go and go and join now saying that yeah show might not be out before it comes. is it is it? i had uh, i had miles i was on miles for a painting one for a while but other than that i have not done any others no i've um i've thought about it many many times for different people but it was the first one and i literally did it then and there. It's the first one that's made me go, yep, absolutely, definitely, they, they can have my money. Because uh, I think given the amount they give to the community and the amount I get out of it, they deserve it. So, you know, have my, have my cash. Yeah, that's, um, that's the key. That's the yeah, key. Yeah. Really good, really good um, fun, those uh, streams. And I think they're, they're good for the hobby joy. Um, it was definitely good watching other people's uh, take on things is good to have that sort of level of interaction. It's the level of interaction and the hobby camaraderie that early days of heresy gave me. Yes, yeah, I get you there. Yeah, which was what I love most about the whole thing. So uh, yeah, big big fan. Um, you know, other than that, this it's a lot for a week, isn't it? The fact we just talk about all of this. Yeah, yeah. I have yeah. ordered the new keeper as well, so I may win one, but I have ordered the new one, so he'll he'll arrive hopefully tomorrow as we speak because it is uh, Thursday the twentieth. I'll be tempted uh, and to. And speaking of the dates, um, Saturday there's another preview. There is. Why TV doing another preview? Uh, I don't know if there's going to be any. There, was it as the in the in the in the image they put out a lot of uh, I think heresy was on there and Necromunda and Blood Bowl maybe, but 40k now. You never know. You never know. I don't think the reason that made me think maybe not this time is because I think when they did the two during the height of lockdown, one of them did list Middle Earth. 
um, and didn't list maybe one of the other things. I can't remember what it was, but because Heresy's on there, sort of similar sized, um, I think, similar sized kind of fan base and, and get, you know, a secondary game system at the moment to the bigger ones. It's, it's one of the only ones that wasn't listed. So it might just be an omission, but um, I'm not going to worry too much either way. But be good to I watch think out. we've got plenty coming. Obviously, they've uh, announced they are in the best of White Dwarf, haven't they? And they have. I, think, I don't think they had uh, announced that when we last recorded. No, they hadn't. They hadn't. Um, I don't think they Sorry. did. No, I'm pretty sure. Again, we, we've recorded a lot recently and not whole shows all in one go. So it's it's getting quite hard to, to remember what we talked about or what part and 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 what was out at that time. But um, yes, they've announced Damer and, and Best of Wife Dwarf um, pre-orders will go up on the 22nd. You must week. be excited. I am. I am. I will be. I will be ordering. I've had some vouchers. I got vouchers for for Father's Day that was just sat in my account. So I will be using that uh, to, to to go towards those. So that all there. I will be. I've got it in my. I've got it in my calendar at like nine fifty five on my phone to remind me to get. I'm not they're going to sell out, but remind me to to hop on and and, and order. Um, it's, if it was if there was new dice or something going up, then I would probably have my alarm set a hundred times a lot earlier to make sure it was still around by eight minutes past ten or when they have sold out or something. But these will obviously be fine for the for, you know these are going to be permanent items. Well, at least AMO will be. I'm not sure how, how long the print run of the Best of White Dwarf will be, but I'm confident that I'll be able to pick one up anyway. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to ordering them, and even more looking forward to, to receiving them the the week after. And and um, you know, and us talking about it on the show, which is we've not had a a book release, um, and I know it's <laughs> <laughs> for a long time. So um, and, you know, for obvious reasons, but um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to having a show where we can flick for a book and talk about the book even though it's content that's not brand new because it's stuff that's been produced in white dwarf it will be nice to discuss well it's new to me <laughs> yeah well yeah you haven't but i i i saw rob do a set of answered a comment or something in the gbhl a couple of yeah, a couple of days ago and some some were saying were asking whether it was all going to be relevant stuff or was it going to be old edition stuff and I think he made a comment that you find should find it interesting and it should be usable and there's, there's been quite a lot in more recent publications etc so some of it might be stuff from the last couple of years um, there's been a few articles and um, and I might I probably got them I probably got the White Dwarfs but it's definitely nice to have it, have it all in one place in a, in a book and I've got the other three best of White Dwarfs I've, I've them up in my recent kind of gathering collection of all the older stuff and you know we've we've used them as reference for our our helms deep section later on so these things are useful regardless of the of the edition because you can make these scenarios we work with anything really and it's not it's not that important you don't have to take the exact force lists but the other parts are, are good to take from as we'll see as when we discuss things later on um yeah, have you got anything else you you want to cover before I start rambling on? I can't even tell. We've both done a quite a bit of rambling already. <laughs> I can't remember what we've covered. Um, uh, all sorts of everything, really. Um, <laughs> I think we sort of covered the bath streams, and I've done some painting, and there's been some other bits on YouTube. So some models released. So what have you painted, Stu? Well, I've painted. I've been working on my Galadrim for um, Helm's Deep, and I was sitting there this week doing them, and thinking, oh, I'll get these out of the way first before I start the Rohan, knowing that. 
I don't know how much time we'll have. You know, we, we're hoping that we might get together sooner rather than later. When I mean sooner, I don't mean like in the next few couple of weeks. But um, I'm thinking, well, am I going to have time to get all of this stuff painted? And I'm thinking, as I'm painting these elves, thinking, Dan's got enough elves for this game. I really shouldn't be painting these elves. <laughs> they should have been the last thing I did. Um, but I know I started them. I can't. I can't not finish them, but you know, there is a little bit of foolhardiness where you've got Haldir, you've got Haldir painted, haven't you? And I quite do. a few, a few. How many glad room have you got painted? Oh, um, probably need more archers. So it's probably not a bad idea. You've um, been painting some of those. Yeah, as I just thought, oh, you get. And if I say, well, don't bring yours, then you wouldn't be using any of your miniatures on the game either, which would be a shame. And we well, maybe you did raise the point of. Um, Maybe some Uruks. Not that you press uh, game wheels and yes. button screws involved, but it, you just jumped on and uh, a, a careless comment from myself about potentially doing some Uruks <laughs> at some point. I'm prodding you. Um, it, it depends. I, I, I was planning on having a lot more money at the moment, but um, Your yeah, my MOT didn't go well. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we'll see. Luckily, Middle Earth is a lot cheaper to play than pretty much any other game system that uh, I do partake in. So. Yeah, a, a box, box of Oryx and, a, and a, 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 you know, someone to command it is naturally not too bad at all, is it? But, um, yeah, no pressure on that. 50 quid, I think. Um, so. Yeah. So, that it's, it's, yeah, if you get, if that's, you've talked about maybe having a small Isengard force in, in the future, um, and if that's something you want to, you want to purchase and add to the ranks of Oryx, it will definitely help. But anyway, we want to, you want you to bring your owls with you anyway, but um, I might just be... F- fluffing out the uh i wouldn't use all the ones i paint so i'm painting the bot a whole box of so 24 and the command set and minus the storm caller i'm not sure i'll ever paint it the model looks a bit weird so he's got an orc's head it's a bit it's a bit you sat in a box for me as well i painted everything else in that i just set, looked at me, I, no, I haven't painted the captain Ooh, haven't you no i want i wanted to make uh, sure that but it, I've, because i'm painting 24 plus the um, the, the banner and the, you know, I wanted to make sure that I've got enough <laughs> to, to command them because um, I wanted to use as many models as I could on the wall. So having the captain and as well as um, Haldo is, is useful. Uh, I've got uh, Celeborn, so yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. So I mean, I'm and these are obviously just for Helm's Deep, but because of the because the the, the um, uh, Lothlorien army list is fairly limited anyway, quite small. You don't need to add much to it to turn it into a, a full army anyway. So um, um, I will be adding to it. I think I'll Galadriel and Celeborn on the way, um, including a second armoured Celeborn as well. Um, and then I, at some point in the future, I'll, just, I'll pick up a box of Cav and some and the Fountain Court, Galadriel Court Guard um, when they're back in stock maybe in the future. And then you add up the points there. You've got a fairly sizable little uh, little army. I've actually got a few um, wood elves as well. I bought a sprue of them to make, to use, I think, two of them to, to go in my um, uh, battle company. That's the word. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've got them knocking about, and I wouldn't ever want to buy a whole box, but painting up six or eight of them or something like that that I've got knocking about in my bits box might be nice as well. Not that they'll probably see the, ta- you know, the, the, the table that much, but... It's nice when you have to build a warband for something and it ends up being a double size, <laughs> two double warband like this because of the Helm's Deep thing. And I think, well, you know, I might as well just add these two heroes and these six cav and, boom, oh, look, I've got another little army there. So it's another faction to tick off. So that's the, that's the plan with those anyway. But once that, I reckon I'll get them done um, in the next sort of, 
I don't know, depending on how many evenings I get to, to sort of come up and do a bit of work when I'm not working, but I'm hopeful to get them done by the end of the week, maybe, or at least sort of middle of next week. And then it'll be pulling that. I need to just crack on and do the row hand, don't I? I'm thinking about whether I treat myself and do the three hunters or something because I need them. Um, but maybe plough through the, the bulk and pull down my 30, 40 plus um, foot row hand and start chipping away at them. It's going to be it's going to be a bit of a slog, I think, but I just need to do it because time will run out and it will, we'll, we'll get an opportunity to play and if I haven't got the models ready, then we won't be able to do it. Um, and that will be a shame. So, um, put pressure on myself. Um, so what else have I been doing? I've um, been planning my... Um, Bored a little bit, um, so I got a tray, a round tray to do my Fangorn, um, not Fangorn board, my um, Flotsam and Jetsam board. So that board, and I've talked about it before. The the ruin little storehouse where um, Mary and Pippin are eating and drinking and smoking, and there's stuff floating around. So I want to build that um, a slightly submerged board with some some sort of water effects on it and things, and that's going to be where my um, my ends stand um so i've got the tray and i'm starting to plan that and i think i've got another end on the way so i'll have all the ends i need to do conversions and things i think i've got let me see my list i should remember this on the top of my head because it's such there's when you're trying to hit a thousand points for throwing skulls you don't really get an awful lot of choice i think it's basically four standard ends tree beard with mary and pippin and then i need to do conversions of quick beam and beach bone and that's 980 points. I think I guessed when we were chatting to Damien and Tom and I said 950, but 980 points. So 20 points under is the max you can kind of get to. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm waiting for Treebeard to come back on, um, back in stock. I want a, fi- I've got a metal one. But I want a fine cast one. Because I want to use, want to convert the two, the fine cast Merry and Pippin to be on the wall eating and drinking and smoking and things and i'm going to magnetize the metal ones probably do it that around i could i might magnetize it we'll see how it goes when i got both kits but the other plan was to magnetize the metal ones and um so they can clip on and off so on the display board i take them off tree beards shoulders and have them sitting on the wall doing their doing their stuff um so they'll be part of the display board rather than removable so to speak and then i put the other ones on for the game um and then I wanted to use what was left of the kit. So basically Treebeard. <laughs> I wanted to um, use him, cut him up and kind of use bits of him in with mixed in with plastic ones to make different looking ends. So, um, so that I can make um, beach bone and quick, quick, quick beam. beam, isn't it? So I need to make those two. So hopefully with a, and then it'll be, I don't really want to have to cut the metal one up. The metal one I am going to cut the cut midway down the feet. And, and add about a centimetre to him just to make him taller because he looks a bit slightly short, I feel, compared to the plastic ones. Um, that's all I'm going to do, though. So a bit like um, a bit like uh, some people do with real, true scale space marines. So those of you who are out there who play other games may have seen true scale space marines where people cut them mid-shin, extend them up with a bit of um, metal rod and then sort of fill in the gap and re-sculpt it. I'll do that and it should be quite easy to do with bark because you don't have to be perfectly smooth and uh, neat and shiny like you would with armour to make it seamless. You should be able to just copy the copy the lines of the bark already. Um, it should fill in quite well. I'm probably going to do that with a metal one. <laughs> there is something, there's a little bit of me that says if the fine cast one is good that I get um, and there's no issues with it, 
get another one because that'll be a lot easier to, to convert than the metal one and then just sell on the metal one. But I'll wait and I'll buy one to do the conversion with and then see based on what the quality is like. Because like we talked about, we, you touched on it as well, the, the fine cast, I say fine cast, the Games Workshop resin, some of some models are absolutely perfect in it, no problems whatsoever. The ones that have, they seem to be issues with are the older metal sculpts that were never intended to be cast in that material. Um, and anything with very thin parts, so whether it's spears on um, the late time militia and things like that, they're just so thin and weak. Um, but if it's a chunky model with good chunky parts, apart from once you've done the clean-up, I quite like it, and I prefer lighter models for gaming because you don't chip the paint off all the time. And I know you can varnish them, but I'm not a big fan of doing heavy varnishing because it does change the colour of the paint. It really does. I don't know what your feelings. Do you varnish your models loads, or you? Uh... It depends on the models I'm painting, uh, because sometimes it's part of the process. If I'm doing oils, etc. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. If it's, if it, uh, yeah, I'm totally with you there. But yeah, it's. I don't. I just don't like covering models in like a like a clear coat at the end to try and uh, protect them for gaming. Cause it just, well, just changes, I'm going to have to do something with Sauron because he will chip to pieces. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm a bit so, concerned because I'm not used to gaming with metal models for, for a good number of years now, apart from War Machine stuff, you know, maybe two or three years ago. But it does concern me a little bit, and I, I know that, that there's a lot of kind of a lot of people really dislike fine cast and hate them and rather have the metal sculpts. And looking at the sculpt naked, so to speak, unpainted, I get you, totally do. But when it comes to gaming, um, once you've done the work, if you're able to clean it up and it looks perfect um, you, and you haven't got thin bendy swords or things that snap off, then for me the resin starts to become a, a, quite an attractive option really just because for a gaming side it's um, just a bit stronger. I've been trying some different methods. I've heard about varnishing before you paint. Um, I don't know whether it works or not, but I've been trying. Oh, I've yeah, tried I always key these. up with um, Matt. So yeah, I've done that with all the metals on the, in this Helm's Deep project. So I've um, I've done matte, I've done my prime of black, and then I've done another layer of matte, very thin, because I don't want to. I'm using the airbrush here for this, people. So people are thinking about rattle cans. If I did it with a rattle can, the detail would have gone by then. I'm using the airbrush for this. Um, I've done that already, so I'm going to see how well once. And you can usually tell when you're painting the model because when you're rubbing the paint off when you're doing it, and the amount of times I've painted a model and you see the bit that you touch quite often and it's already wiped it, rubbed it off. So I'm going to see. The other thing is just you know brush painting on on some of the extremities, but I'm just really not a big fan of full on matte varnish over something. I just find that it changes all the the the, the, the blends and the tones and stuff that you've done, but. Um, and that's me as a, as a as a commission painter. Even I don't like it. I haven't got all the answers for it. Someone out there might have a really perfect answer, but I've not found one yet. I've not found a single varnish that doesn't change something in some way. Um, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've taken to slightly pre-mixing. Um, so I'll use um, matte and then drop a, a tiny amount of gloss. So it's not quite a satin, but it's just off a matte. And yeah. it that takes some of that, you know, uh, flattening of tonal shift away. Yes, I can see that, yeah. Because you're not it's not affecting the low way the light hits it quite so much. Um yeah. See, that's the thing, when it's a plastic model or a resin model, 
um, apart from like you said, as using varnish is part of the process. So, those of you who who only play Middle Earth, so we use we use oil paints as washes to actually make like a a wash that's the same as a a seared wash, so to speak. Maybe a little bit thicker in its viscosity, out of oil paint and and, and an artist's white spirit. Um, and the cool thing about oil paints is they don't dry straight away. They, in fact, they can take a long, long time, a number of days to dry fully. So it means you can work with them longer in the wet so you don't get those dried tide marks that you get that if you slap Agrax Earthshade all over a model. Um, so, But the, what you do is you protect your model before you put it on there. So if you imagine a space marine in armour all over um, and you get, you've done all your airbrushing or normal painting and you cover it in gloss varnish um, and then you can apply oils and sometimes that might be all over, sometimes that might just be in the... You know, like pin washes or in the recesses but then just as it's drying or where it's tacky you can then go back and clean it up and remove the pooling away and 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 you can create really nice effects with it you can kind of blend it out you can just play around with it that's the that's the sense and then when it dries you can have some really cool effects as well depending on the colors that you use especially on armor and things you can get a really nice kind of deep grounding dirty realistic effect which i i love to use um so that's when i will always use gloss varnish to protect the model and to help with the process of removing the oils um in that thing and i'll often use a bit of matte afterwards because sometimes it's still a bit shiny so you have to dull it down but when it comes to sort of on, on fabrics or on organic parts so your skin and hair and things like that i don't like to put varnish on afterwards no i'm completely with you um my own heels are actually all done with oils all of the armor on those yeah mine mine too mine too but then i've done the oils and i've completed that part of the model and then i've painted the rest of it yeah, I would never add the oils right. afterwards, and because the way oils work, they don't really work so well for painting skin and hair and things like that. I just use normal processes for the rest of it. So that's just bringing across processes that we've both used in 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 heresy. A lot of heresy painting is a bit different to standard forty k painting on the whole. And obviously, that's a massive assumption, but there seems to be a style that people have sort of the kind of style you see in a lot of military modelling. And I'm not talking about bolt action gaming players i mean sort of people that do model kits that make them super realistic so they're using powders and they're making it look you know making almost diorama style painting styles and that's uh, a lot of heresy players like to do that and um we've both done an awful lot of it so that's kind of bled over into some of the, the work we do with, with with middle earth now especially when it comes to painting if i'm painting iron armor i'm going to use the same methods that i've learnt um for heresy miniatures rather than just sort of putting um, and a bolt gun metal and an agrax earth shade and then highlighting it i'm going to use oil paints and things to do it because it's just i like the effect that it gives yeah it's definitely the fill method he came over from he used to be a big big deal in the military modeling scene didn't he yeah. and then he came over and did the imperial armor books for yes. forge world which is where a lot of that very early sort of heresy aesthetic came from and it just bled into the heresy painting styles there's one nice thing i think about the different games you've got each of them has its different aesthetic. Yes. Lord of the Rings has a far more realistic, in some respects, um, muted painted tone palette, particularly with the sort of the generic, the more common armies as like Gondor and Rohan and the Orcs. Yes, yeah. It's very different from the high fantasy look of Age of Sigmar, which is ultra shiny. And then you've got 40K, which is kind of the amalgamation of the two. And Heresy is yeah. just dingy but very ultra-realistic military modelling style. So it's really nice to be able to move between those systems, which I have been doing recently and learning to paint in different ways or trying to introduce aesthetics from other games into the others. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It makes sense, definitely. And um, you see it with the artwork and things, and 40K has evolved over the years. There's a little bit less grim dark in its art style. There's still the grim dark there in, the, in terms of the storyline, but the art style seems to have brightened. Some of that is just the changing of the guard and natural changes as, as artists move on to other projects or to... Um, you know, to, to, to retired and new artists come in and style us. Some of it's deliberate, I imagine. But with, with Lord of the Rings, obviously the imagery is, is all based around the Peter Jackson's imagery. So you, the, the color palettes that you use come, come from that. Um, and that's where you, what you get on, on the tabletop, so to speak. Um, but anyway, this has turned into a really sort of long, impromptu painting chat. Uh, <laughs> definitely a massive tangent. Um, what else what are we doing? Um, what else? I think there's there's a few things starting to come back into the web store, actually, because I'm getting the emails, things that I've hit, notify me, I think, like the Uruk Ballista came back in, um, Galadriel and Celeborn came back in, Armoured Celeborn's come back in today as well. Um, and I think the Uruk Ballista's come back in. So things are starting to to come back in like maybe it's got to do with a bit of a, a build up towards as the, the, the book comes out, the White Dwarf book comes out and I am uh, hopefully another one soon, not too long afterwards. Um, maybe they're just sort of, bit, they realise now that that's the time for Middle-earth to start getting its stock built back home. So, so those of you look waiting for stuff, um, go back and check, especially if you've not hit the email me button. Um, but um, I don't think, oh, I've been stocking up some... Um, some hobby supplies, um, boring stuff like ordering varnish and airbrush cleaner and things. And I ordered a couple of things from Green Stuff World, um, which I'm going to play around with. I don't know if you've seen this, Dan. They do a spider's web serum. Have you seen that? Uh, I I have seen that, and it might be on my list of things I'm buying for my dog or board. Ah, fantastic! So I'll let you know how it goes when it arrives. Um, I you ordered do. a bit. I ordered a couple of bottles of it. it basically, goes. For, you need an airbrush for this. And it does say you must do it for an airbrush. So I think it's because you're in order to get the effect, you have to sort of fire it out at very small molecules. But um, but you you spray it on, and it basically gives you effect that looks like real cobwebs rather than using cotton wool or something and then you have to buy a special cleaner to, to clean it from your airbrush afterwards which concerns me slightly but um watch the tutorials are really good so best thing to do if you if you're interested in that is is actually go over to if you search on youtube green stuff world and uh, look at some of their tutorials of some of the effects they have um but i've got that so i thought it'd be nice to have a little bit on shalob's base when i um when I paint her, um, I just thought it'd be really cool to add some something something different, and I wanted to play around with it, and uh, it'd be good to see how quickly it runs out because they're quite small bottles, and um, you, you know, good thing to have in the armory, so just for respect as, as, as of effects, um, and then at the same time, I also order they do. If you've seen the the resin, they do they do this quick resin um, that you set with a UV light. Again. No, I've not seen that. I've, I've seen some of the quick pores you can get that cure in sort of you know five minutes, but not not UV light. So basically, I'm guessing it works in a similar way to the 3D printing stuff. Because I, I imagine so. No, I'm not very sciencey brain, so I wouldn't know the, 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 I just watched the video. So these little tiny UV lights, and they, and they sell it for about four pound fifty, which is about the price of the cheapest ones you get on eBay anyway for those sort of sort of things. But I've ordered one of those and and a 200 mil bottle i think of this which is like the largest bottle um and it's i mean i use water effects i use vallejo water effects anyway and that can take a you know a good 24 hours or 48 hours to fully cure um and it shrinks a little bit so they're good if you want to do small puddles and things uh, but the tutorial for this actually shows them doing a full um water base which is about a centimeter thick 
Um, they just put they, they put mask it at the side so it doesn't spill over. Um, pour the stuff in, and then f- turn on this little UV light over the top of it, and then it sets. And they pull the sides off, and it's done. Um, now I don't know if you know when, when I'm doing the, the 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 water on my my board for Throne of Skulls, or it might just be a board for my <laughs> for my hence, depending on when Throne of Skulls happen. But when I'm going to be obviously needing to do a proper pour because it's going to be too large to use this stuff. Um, but I want to play around with it to have as, a, as an option to use on bases, and it may well be that it's perfect type to do to make sure that the bases match the height exactly, because I'm going to have to cut bits out of this water-based board in order to fit the ends in. I think so, and I want some of them to be more submerged in water than others. So, so the ones that have just got their—excuse the phrase—their toes in it. They obviously haven't got toes, but um, the ones that have just got their their bark toes in the water, I might be able to use it for those and, um, and practice on it. But it looks cool anyway, and it's not—it's not too expensive. To be honest with you, it's not much more expensive than buying a bottle of um, water effects. And if you by clicking on the UV light on it, it sets instantly. Then, well, that's a winner as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah, I'll um, I will squeeze that into a base soon just for fun. There must be something I can do to put in a bit of water just to add a little bit of extra, extra bit. Do another of, golem. Do another golem. Do another golem. Uh, no, oh, I got. I've been thinking about. Is there still a square on the board for painting the same miniature again? Um, because I'm thinking. Yeah, paint the model you already own. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking. I don't know if I've done that already. I can't even remember now, and the, and it's peeling off my notes board, and I can't see where it, I can't see it, but. I don't see a golem coming up soon. I can see me painting another Bilbo because I've got a couple of different Bilbos for fun, but they're not really going to be standing in water effects. Um, it's not really going to work. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Depends if you put them on a display base and sloped it like you stood at the edge of the lake underneath the mountain. Yeah, okay, yeah, that could be cool. But I just whether the sculpt works for that. So I've, I mean, obviously the Bilbo that stands outside um, um, the original one. That's not really going to oh, work with the, the water. Oh, the bag end style one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless he's um, holding us like a vote, so he's holding a beer and he's spilling it or something when I was going to bear with the TT. I don't know. We'll see. I th- it might be with something like Sam or something because I'm going to paint Sam for Shailar, but I'll end up painting Sam for the Fellowship this year as well. So that that will that might double double up. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with this. Uh, but yeah, I've ordered some of those bits from Green Stuff well, so I'm looking forward to they're, they They're cool toys, cool little fun sciencey things to play science with your painting. I love little things like that, and really excited about the web stuff. That could be really really cool. Um, so as and when I do it, I'll uh, I'll share with everyone, obviously. Um, but that's me. And <laughs> it's a massive, massive ramble today. But um, the, the, in short, slogging on with with eighty three models towards Defenders of Helm's Deep, which is the painful part. But but half done, nearly twenty eight of them, so twenty seven of them. So it's not too bad when you think of it like that. Not at all. To be fair, actually, uh, it, a lot's happened in the last week. In the world of uh, Middle Earth, really, with the announcement of uh, new models coming very soon and new books, people in the community doing new things. So, uh, probably more than we've had in the preceding two or three months. So, yes, why not? Yes, yeah. And it's going to pick, it feels like it's going to pick up now. It's going to be Middle Earth's turn to, you know, be in the limelight and the stuff that we hope to have earlier in the year is, um, you know, obviously going to be, it's gonna, we're going to get now. I'll be very surprised if uh, Quest is another three months behind or something like that i'm sure we will see that soon i don't know i don't know when but i'd i'd, I'd hope that we we see it in september 
nice maybe october september october time before christmas would be lovely yeah i'm I'm, yeah i'd be surprised to be honest with you if it wasn't if it was out after christmas now because it would seem a long if you think about when the models were shown so the keeper was shown first wasn't it and then it was grass for the ring bearer potentially or i can't remember what order actually i definitely remember that the keeper was shown first. Then there was the mate order, which has obviously been put back. That's going to be different because that's not a new release. That's all about their capacity in their warehouse at the moment, isn't it? When they've got less people working and social distancing and all the complications that go with that. So I get that. I get why bringing back a mate order on OOP models is not as important as, as, as getting all the new products out that they've been developing. It just absolutely makes sense. Um, you imagine the money they make from, from a mate order like that compared to what they're making from you know from new releases and things it must be absolute drop in the ocean um but i'd be very surprised if we didn't see quest i think it might be if we miss a month and something else gets a thing and then come october that might be a good guess but i don't know we will see but i will be really surprised if we're getting to like the end of november december and that we've had nothing else and that book's not out i'm sure it will be and it'd be lovely to have an autumn um hopefully i'd love to have an autumn when i really focus on that book and if if throne of skulls isn't going ahead i'm still going to be working on my um my display board for for all my my lovely ends but i will slow that down and really try and enjoy quest for the ring bearer painting up fellowship models and things i know it's not all fellowship but painting them stuff that's to do with that narrative theme and and playing those games because that will be fun i think that'll be a really fun sort of to be painting stuff up as the book's out rather than always seem to be a book or so behind <laughs> which I seem to be at the moment it'd be fun to paint a fellowship is on my list and uh, I, sit by me uh, I can't get hold of that uh, Thorin's company because it's no longer made no, no. Heart a little bit there but um, well, the Metal Fellowship is very easily readable on, on eBay um, well I've got an original Metal Fellowship but do that one that's why i've got sitting behind me and i'd I love to paint it and enjoy painting it and i suppose by the time i've finished painting my defenders of helm's deep force i'll have a decision to make then is how quickly do i need to kind of really put my foot down and make sure that my um my fangorn army is is ready for throne of skulls or well you know how safe can i be to assume that it's not going to happen at that point and then still be doing it but also be working working my way through painting the fellowship getting hold of some hopefully some mounted ring wraiths and doing some other bits that i've got lined up to start doing some of the scenarios that i'm hoping are going to be in quest for, quest for the ring bearer and i've got a moria and mordor armies sitting in boxes ready to go which will be fun projects and again it's about doing those kind of themey themey things so i might might need to paint a cave troll and some uh, some moria some goblins up in order to do balance too because that could well be in that book might not be it's been covered a lot before so it might they might feel it's not needed but that could be in the book there's so many cool things that could be related to the, you know, the quest of the ring bearer that um that well it's so central to the plot i suppose you could it is pretty central everything yeah well that's the thing yeah the whole the whole bloody thing but i i, I would be very surprised if shayla wasn't involved at some point so i've got that model to do and I'm definitely do the fellowship so i i i'd be sad for throne of skulls but um I've still got, I'm still going to do my display board and it was, as I said, it will suddenly gives me a bit of hobby time rather than me rushing to try and, I'm going to enjoy doing it, but it means that I can spend some time painting models to play the scenarios and, and focus on, on Quest, which would be really, really cool. Anyway, 
We have rabbited for nearly an hour. It's one of the longest many meetings um, for ages, and it's only me and you, and it's only been a week since we last did one. So this has probably been a very, very slow start to the show. Thank God for timestamps in the show notes, people. Um, <laughs> you, go, you may have missed this and skipped ahead. So, Dan, have you got anything else before I uh, let these poor people... Uh, no, uh, well said. Cool. Right, we'll go for a break, and when we come back, we'll have Sam with us, and we'll be talking all about Helm's Deep. The hour grows late, and Blandolf Grey Plastic comes seeking my counsel. You are sure of this, Blandolf? Yes, the event is fully painted. It was in the event pack, under my nose the whole time. Yet you did not have the wit to see it. Your love for the Facebook group has slowed your mind. We must join him, Blandolf. The commission painter, we must be fully painted. When did Surly Man the White give in to madness? But I am now Surly Man of many colours. Miniature Realm Studio is a commission painting service. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or contact us directly at miniaturerealmstudio at gmail.com. You have elected the way of paint. Hello again, and we're here for our Council of Elrond, and we welcome Sam along. How's it going, mate? Hello, yes, it's good, thank you. I'm uh, enjoying this much cooler weather from the last time we spoke. <laughs> it certainly is slightly wet weather and slightly windy as well. Well, we can't just have a temperate day, can we? It's got to be some extreme of weather, although we'll be British. <laughs> it's, I don't know if this is my um, remembering things different as a, as a child, not in Rosie, but I'm sure some holidays used to feel like they were long and, and hot as a child, but it feels for, for years now that August has been pretty pretty kind of early autumn it's very kind of septemberish weather it feels like the heat in the uk is very much a, a june july thing now you can be pretty reliable that's gonna be pretty hot in that time anyway very boring it was another age though mate i mean you were <laughs> evacuated to the countryside i was i was <laughs> made it i was gonna say the, the workhouse summer. really treated you badly back then anyway <laughs> mate so it was hot in there <laughs> they let me out in the summer um right so we're going to be, as we've already talked about a little bit earlier in the show, but what we're going to be doing today is discussing Helm's Deep. And the angle we're taking on it isn't a critique of the film or a critique of the book of it. We're gearing up to play at some point, when COVID allows us to, our big Helm's Deep siege game. Um, I'm in the middle of painting armies now, as, as you all know, and Sam's got some some Isengard stuff, and Dan might do. And, and we want to have a really, really epic, siege game that kind of really feels like we've reenacted the film i suppose um but uh, but it's an engaging game as well so we thought the best way around it um was to sort of look at all of the stuff that games workshop has produced that's um helps deep related we think we may have missed articles and i'm sure people will message us and let us know if we have but we've looked at um the battle reports that they've done and then looked at the previous scenarios and things um, that they've done as well um, throughout the ages of the game um, as inspiration, really. And there's obviously a very up-to-date scenario and, and scenarios in the latest War in Rohan supplement. But I really wanted to look back at some other stuff and see how it had changed and get some inspiration, talk about it more, um, talk about the bits we liked, what we don't like about them, and then kind of 
come out of the recordings, you're listening to a bit of a, I don't know, a mind spew probably on this. I come out at the end of, of, of this little session with a, a list of things we want to to do in the game we want it to be like and things that we don't want it to be like and then we'll go away and, and actually make a scenario we, we will talk to you about the scenario uh, in the future when we've when we played the game we probably won't come back into a segment on just on the scenario we've come up with because that would might be not might be a bit boring on their own right then so are you guys ready are you really guys ready to crack into the um the the big pile of books that we've been looking through Yes. <laughs> so I shall rustle my papers. I'm, my si- papers. I'm sitting here with um, eight books, I think. Um, and that, it would be nine if I had the separate white dwarfs for, for, for the first thing. So the first thing we, we're looking at is, is a couple of battle reports that we found. And I found three. Um, there's two that are kind of linked. And then there's one after that. And the first two um, from UK White Dwarf 227 and 228. And that's January and Feb 2003. But they're also in the Two Towers Best of White Dwarf magazine compilation. Um, so um, have we all, we've all had a read through of, of most of this stuff, I think. So do you guys have any initial kind of thoughts on the, on the scenario? You want to give us some well, details on it? So it, just to correct you, it was two seven seven and two seven eight. People ah. are going to get very confused if they go for two two seven and two oh, two. Eight. Yeah, sorry, I don't, I'm reading it off the screen as well, so I could, apparently I can't read. I'm obviously my aging eyes from all the smoke in the workhouse, and I can't just can't uh, can't see anything. <laughs> I don't know if this throws a spanner in the works, but I've got two seven six and two seven eight as well, so yeah. I don't know what's wrong with my eyesight either. <laughs> ah, that would be um, because the if it's US the version American version, so there are, yeah, yeah. a thing behind. So oh, the okay. um, the um, I think there's there's the trove isn't there online where there's a there's a lot of old white dwarfs on PDFs. I, um, I wouldn't normally talk about um, um, illegally reproduced stuff, but I think I don't think anyone at Games Workshop will be too upset about there being um, a site that's got some some uploaded white dwarfs that that like nearly twenty years out of date and um, <laughs> up there. I don't think they can they're not in printer on sale anymore. So um, I think there's the US version up there. So if you'd found that one. Um, that'll be why it says 276 um, I think I've got them all I've got, I'm only missing a few white doors in, in the whole collection but anyway digress so who wants to who wants to have their who talk about what they thought about the battle reports or give us an overview of, of the way it was set up do you guys want me to talk about the setup of it or do you want to one of you want to fire straight in well um, sorry, carry on Sam go on go on uh, sorry I was going to say that actually the two, these two adjoining white dwarf ones are probably the out of the white dwarfs, the ones that I put the least about. Yeah, not because um, they're they're bad or anything like that, but because they're they're probably very similar to a lot of the ones that go around as well. Yes, I, or at least I found. Um, I f- I thought the the actual battle reports were good, uh, but I looked at it from the point of view of more of. Those of you who have been listening for a long time know I'm big into my D&D and DMing games and sort of making games a little bit more fun. So I've come at it from that point of view. And I found that they were really, really good battle reports. And it's nice going to... I think Dan Dan said about how this was like the golden age of battle reports in White Dwarf because they're just beautiful to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked the pre, pre-game talking about the armies versus the end game, what I did right, what I did wrong sort of thing. And I... I really like that. So, like, from the point of view of these two issues, that's pretty much all I've got on them. Uh-huh. But I just wanted to put that out there first before you guys go in 
uh, with what you've got. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, you're, you're right as well. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but it was it's definitely very well written and presented, and it's got that nice nostalgic feel to it. And um, and while there's no real kind of it's not the overview map that you would get from the other systems at that point, but I suppose that's not really needed with with the siege game like this. Um, but there's lots and lots and lots of color photos there, isn't there? There's a real kind of um, celebration of the um, the imagery of the film, and I think that the previous White Dwarf um, to that they had the how to build some of Helm's Deep, and they had the, the article on how they built the model that they were using. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's to, to date it for people. It's Matt Ward and who's the other guy? Roland something? Roland Cox. I was, was going to say that was uh, Matt Ward in his very earliest days before he uh, reached eternal infamy with the Grey Knights Codex. <laughs> yeah, so he came, didn't he? Didn't he come? I know the people that have been around the game are no longer, but I get, didn't he join as like a secondary writer for Middle Earth to start with, but with Alessio, and then ended up sort of taking over. I think I might be wrong there, but uh, um, yeah. So it's those two. It's, it's a two part. I think the first part was it's an assault um, on the keep, so it's assaulting the deeping wall, and then the, the the white dwarf afterwards was defend the gateway. So they kind well, of split I th- it. I think if we're going to um, you know let the cat out of the bag on this one, and it will come up in the two towers rules. It basically is scenario five and six from the two towers rules. That's right. Of yeah. the time. They just played them both back to back as they can be narratively played. I think yeah. you might as well just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, we're, and we'll be using that publication as well when we go through the scenarios. So we will discuss the scenarios there a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that's yeah. They, they're using the they're using the stuff from the from the from the publication that was was current at the time. So essentially, it's the first edition of the rules, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed those particular two battle reports. Um, something that's going to become apparent through this entire segment is I pretty much base my opinion on anything involved in Helm's Deep on just how many Urukai Berserkers you can have. <laughs> the more Berserkers, the more I like it. They are literally my favourite evil unit. My favourite of, of any of the uh, eras. They are absolutely one of my favourite units. I, I love them in the movies. I know that they're not canon to the books. I don't care. They're cool. Um, so totally happy with that. There's plenty of Berserkers. Um, first, Isengard list. I think the way the Isengard list and uh, indeed the uh, hero, the good list, they were laid out and presented. thought that was really cool. It's classic, again, White Dwarf, big lavish army photos and that kind of thing. Aspirational would be the best way I'd put that. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. I found some things curious. I mean, I know that they were compiled according to the stipulations of the scenarios. The lack of Rohan, in particularly the first scenario, was quite jarring for me. Yeah, I'm just looking at the pictures now, and um, it's clearly not a grand battle, is it? Even though they're using the the massive castle model, it really is. They're quite small scenarios, aren't they? Really, in reality, yeah. um, they're very the, very small. The obviously the book that this these rules have come out is the one that came in the two towers like sort of box, like starter box that they did each each year, isn't it? It's the red yes. book. Yes, yes. So it's, 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 I definitely said, think meant to be more simplified. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, as I said, it was um, first edition of the rules. I suppose it's kind of like, I don't know how they would class it, whether class is second, because it was like 1.1, but they did bring out a new book each year with each, with each film. And there was, I think there was some new profiles in 
that matched well, the, the point films, but the actual, very different but, the, but the rules themselves were were still the same same rules, so to speak. You could you could own any of the additions, whether it was the Fellowship, the Two Towers, or the Return of the King. I think someone's going to correct me now. I think the rules are essentially the same. They just kind of reskinned it and you know maybe brought a few new profiles out. But um, yeah, I, I think looking at the armies, you're right, Dan. I think the 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 Uruks is nice in in the fact that it's it's film based, so there's no very much like the the current assault on Helm's Deep Legendary Legion list. Um, I think it would be legal to work with that list. There's no list written, is there? It's just a picture, but um, it's using generic captains. It's it's basically Uruks with swords. There's no is there no pikes, is there? Um, they've got bomb teams. They've got a blister. Mm-hmm. There's crossbows and then there's berserkers. So it's it would it would fit with the, with the current set of the, the current set of the rules. You could write a list in the. Um, I get what you're saying about the Rohan. There's just hardly any, is there? There's they're almost fifty fifty with the elves. It's a very small number. They're probably trying to balance the points with the, the with what the castle would do. But again, it is just focusing on two bits, isn't it? It's focusing on assault in the wall, and then the secondary part is defending the gateway. And then you've probably got slightly different list in that anyway, haven't you? Um, mm. What I did also notice is that Helm's Deep is not the model that they released. That's one they built. Yes, it's the yeah, it's the 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 big one. They the big one. I think it's the first big thing they made like that, wasn't it? They, they made that obviously before they made Minas Tirith. I don't think the studio owns either of them anymore, do they? I think they've long since been um, disposed of for space reasons. They probably deteriorated by now, in fairness. They were played with. <laughs> I think it's... I mean, it's in the Two Towers um, um, Best of journey Dwarf, book. anyway. Um, well, yeah, it might, be, it might be in the Journey book as well, actually. But it's... it's. Um, I think it was White Dwarf 276 might have the an article about how they built it. I know it's around that time. They all rolled into each other. Um, and it's a very, very cool model. Um, but yeah, that was my major things from it. Really, was is that they were? It was a nice, nicely written battle report. Um, that the armies were themed with a film issue. It was okay, but there's not a lot we could take away to help. Not us, heroes really. as well. The heroes basically made no. Yeah, yeah. Till very, very much at the end, they were kept out for too long, and this is a game of heroes. Yes, I mean, they, again, they're trying to trying to keep it to the to the film i suppose aren't they just want the main heroes there they don't want lots of other captains and stuff um and we'll see when we come on to the latest version of the the full scenario so the the one the all-in game as well that's there's not much um generic stuff going on there you can if anyone can hear the baby screaming in the background i do apologize my wife is dealing with him (laughs) i'm not just recording and ignoring him um but yeah i thought it's a nice scenario it set the flavor it set the theme up but there's there's not much that i'm taking from it in terms of right i'm going to use that in, in i don't want i want to use that in our game other than the kind of look and feel of the castle which is obviously built and that's why we're not discussing the modeling side of it because it's it's already done um so has anyone got any, anything else they'd like to sort of add or talk about to do with, with those? Anything I've, we've missed that that's relevant or should we move on to the next battle report? I think they're perfect for battle reports for a white dwarf. Yeah. And for small skirmish games, I don't think there's much we can take from them for the game of the scale we're thinking of. Yes, exactly. It was really nice looking back at the old stuff. I love a bit of nostalgic um, white dwarf flicking 
So the next battle report, and as far as I'm aware, this was the last one. I don't think there's been another Helm's Deep battle report. If there has been and we've missed it, please let us know because I'd like to read it. Um, was in White Dwarf 321 in September 2006. Um, so we're, uh, we're we're three years on um, uh, and definitely, I think, an addition on. Um, I don't know when all the additions came out. but uh, And uh, this is Gal Thorpe and Graham McNeil. Um, it's quite interesting to see those... Uh, Faces doing some Lord of the Rings stuff through uh, the three of us here know them very much for their novel writing from, from um, Horus Heresy. So it's obviously I know them for the gaming side of things from before, but that's what springs to my most because that's what they've been doing most recently. So it's quite interesting to see their names spring up. But um, um, yeah, this one's quite different. What do you what do you think, Sam? Do you want to go first? What did you, do you th- did, how did you find this compared to the other battle report? So this is this one's obviously more along the lines of what we were looking for for our game. Mm-hmm. Um, where the previous two battle reports tend to focus on the films more, this one seems to be more book-based. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, and in my notes, I've put that this is basically uh, the final battle in... Uh, the journey book, they they give you loads of little scenarios and then you basically get the option to play a bigger version of it instead. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so do you want me to read through all my notes on the one? Because I've actually got loads of notes on this one. Yeah, um, you, yeah just, just, just say whatever you feel is relevant. Let's, let's, let's discuss it, absolutely. Cool. Uh, so the, the first thing I wrote down was that what I really liked was uh, with the forces, it encourages the evil side to bring more models uh, in the aspect that every 20 models that the evil side had, uh, they got a free ladder. Yeah. Yep, uh, yep. So that obviously gives you the thing of, right, okay, well, if you bring lots of orcs and lots of scouts, which, spoiler alert, there's a very mixed army in here in comparison to, uh, so like the Helm's Deep Legendary Legion. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you, can own, you can't bring scouts or anything else. It is just Uruk High in heavy armor. Uh, this one, they brought lots of different things, and I really, really like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the objectives, the way I read it, and you may have looked at this from a different view, but I looked at it that it, basically the game will mostly be a draw unless somebody tends to uh, overwhelm their opponent or something like that, because it was if like one of the selected heroes on the good side dies, they could. Um, then the evil side could win. Yeah, it's quite simplistic, isn't it? So let me, I'll, I'll read it out. It's easy. It's only a short. Sorry. Um, no, no, it's fine. It's just good. It's, this is, don't apologize. So the scenario, it says objectives. The good player wins if the evil force is wiped out and Aragorn, Gandalf, and Theoden are still alive. Um, the evil, sorry, the, you know, the good player, sorry, I said that wrong. The good player wins for that. Um, the evil player wins if Aragorn, Gandalf, and Theoden are all slain, thus stealing the fate of Middle Earth. So it is quite simple. The evil player needs to kill those three big characters um and the good player needs to wipe out the force while keeping their characters alive that's it's fairly simplistic and it's and seems maybe quite hard but it just it, on, on, from first reading but um that's essentially what it what it is so it's not there's not loads of sort of um separate well we get big vps for securing this bit of the wall and vps for securing that bit of wall it's quite straightforward just have a big a big bash up really hmm. um Board, board 
sizes a four by four board which i thought for such a big battle was actually nice to have it in this sort of small i mean we're used to playing previously on uh in 30k where you have anything over sort of three thousand, and it starts to become quite a squeeze on us on a six by four so yes and and they are using i don't know if the the model that you could buy but it looks like the a pre-runner to it it looks like the studio built one or something so it's a smaller castle So that's probably why they're able to fit it on the board. So it's a, it's a, it's a fairly short walled mini Helms Deep frontage on some raised rock. And then there's a section of wall. So scale-wise, it's nothing like the other one, which matched the film. Um, mm. But it, it does mean it kind of makes it more of a sort of succinct, tightly fit again. You can fit on a 4x4. Four four. Yeah. Um, I say, <laughs> my notes say uh, I like that Urken Brand is in the Gandalf party, which makes it sound really political, uh, <laughs> but it's not. Um, the gate rules were quite cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the Legion of the White Hand rule, where basically when an Uruk Hyde dies for the first time, uh, you roll a dice and it can come back. Yes. Um, yeah. But if it dies again, it can't respawn the only thing i thought about that is obviously it can be quite difficult to keep tracking that who's already died (laughs) yeah i i i I don't know how they did it i would have said that maybe you uh look at your total numbers of normal troops or something and you have a certain amount of respawn for each type or something like that so you don't have to sort of keep an individual tally of whether that individual models died or something like that but um i like the idea of respawning that does give it some kind of level of balance. I mean, one of the things I'd noticed is that, that the actual army lists, they're matched, aren't they? And they both spent 1,500 points each. So if yes. you think that one, one force is behind the castle, that would give gives them quite a big advantage, but the respawning would obviously doubles that up effectively. So it means if, if everything that respawns, if everything's allowed to respawn once, that's effectively 3,000 points versus the 1,500, if they get to use them. And they might not all die yeah. and respawn. So... Um, um i think got that the it's quite when i i started writing this and then i started counting how many models there were uh so the evil side break if they're less than 50 models so once again it's encouraging you to take lots of models because if you rock up with 70 really expensive models then it's going to be really easy to break however i did a quick, a quick tally of how many evil models would be on the table uh and it was 126. Right, so okay. they had they had quite a few. That looked cool. Um, and obviously with the respawning ones as well, it means that as long as there's 50 on the table, it's okay. Um, and for those counting, that is six ladders that they got to keep. Mm. Um, uh, keeping the good alive for the point where the Rohan sort of come out uh, for the the ride out of Theoden is good because the more that you keep alive, the more free horses you get. Yes, yeah. Because those horses aren't taken into points when you start the game, but basically there's a rule where Theoden has to take them to the stables, and then as long as Theoden's at the stables, they get the free horses. But then you also have to ride out with Theoden. You can't leave him there just respawning all these free horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, and then I just put the, the mix of models was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And I just put that it's not the film version, but it was a very fun version to look at. Yeah, it definitely feels different to the other one. What about you, Dan? What do you, what was your observations from it? Anything or things that we could use? Well, they were much less uh, 
Berserkers, so I didn't like it as much. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a, a more book-related, which I liked, although there were some glaring things in there. Ugluk, for a start, because he should be dead. Yeah. Um, but they had done lendings in it, which is fantastic, because obviously that is spoken about during the books. Yes. Because it actually comes into it about, you know, they're being traitors and all that kind of stuff, and especially post the battle when the, they're... they're lining up um, and expecting to be killed, etc. So it was um, good to see that. I like the fact that it was more book-related. You see, I actually went the other way. I didn't quite like the intimacy of it so much, the sort of 4 by 4 board, etc. If we're going to play this, let's play it properly. Yeah. It was supposed to be the, 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 you know, the first great battle for the Middle-earth. You know, it's um, it should be you know, a proper clash. You know, it's, it's supposed to be the Oryx is essentially supposed to be without number. They blacken the earth in their mm. movements. It's just literally a sea of black with torches and pointy sticks hanging out of it. So, you know, it, for me, it should be more. It should always be more. Um, I, 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 I like the fact that trolls as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just really quickly, I agree. I quite like it as as a presentation in the White Dwarf, but in terms of taking it into what we we're doing, we're we're going for a. A much grander thing and we have to because the board the, already the castle only fits on a six by four board sort of thing anyway back to you i just wanted to comment when you when you said it yeah i mean uh, to be honest it, it, again it was um white dwarf changing over the years um certain parts were better it seemed to have a better breakdown of the armies etc but on the other hand it lost some of its charm for some reason i didn't enjoy reading it because i genuinely actually reread all of these yeah um, I didn't enjoy it quite as much. Um, it seemed a bit rushed. Yeah. Do you think it seemed paced on? Do you think that could be because it's it's such a big game, um, and they're obviously trying to cover? Because they even mention in the um, article that they had to play it over two days. Yeah, it's just I, I think that's uh, the way that Lord of the Rings used to play. Because Lord of the Rings, I mean, I give it some. At one point, I was staff for some of this and it was very much more a skirmish game playing big games of it you know you're talking 50 points was horrendously unwieldy yes horrendously yeah. unwieldy um very difficult to play and the idea of a very a bunch of sugared up 13 year olds trying to play 50 points worth of um lord <laughs> of the rings is enough to make you want to go cry in the stock room so um no it's very much a victim of its time um I think they're always looking for a way to do a mass battle system um, for which um, obviously that's where War of the Ring came from, which again, I was not the hugest fan of. Um, I think it was, it tried to do too much. And unfortunately, because they felt the need to get all of those named characters in, you've got the Aemer and Urkenbrand and the Three Hunters and Theoden and Gandalf, where's your points gone? You've got, you don't have enough chaff. Yeah, yeah. That's where I think the um, the loss of a bit of the flavour came from. I think, to be honest, again, as, as seems to be a theme through a lot of these, I think the evil side seems to be at a better reflection of the forces at the battle than the good side do because they're too busy trying to ram as many characters into it as possible. If you're going to play all the characters, you need a big enough game to play it in so they are representative of their, their sort of big personalities, but they're only individuals within a large battle. They can't carry the battles on their own, but they can turn the tide at the right moments. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, and we, you know, I've already 
pretty much written a list for the defenders anyway, based on collection and stuff. We'll talk about it a little bit later, maybe. Um, and I've got all the characters. I want all the characters that appear in the film at least. Um, and then we can have a discussion about whether anyone else goes in there as well. But um, with that comes a lot of troops as well. Um, to to make the numbers, and that's something that's really really important to me is that the game looks like it, like a big, like a big, like a big siege. I mean, I, I I like the bits that Sam liked about. I, I quite like the special rules. They're quite simple. It gives some flavour. Um, it kind of breaks down some things, like and that adds in fade and rise out from turn eight, so to speak. So I quite like the like the idea that maybe we can build in some of the key moments from film and book into the game so that they we know they definitely happen or that they have to the have to do things to make them happen. So I kinda of, I read those bits and think I want those things to happen. I want it to feel like the film, but I also want it to be a balanced game. So I take that and think yeah, that's something I want to see in the game we play. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of it I wouldn't do. Um I think it feels too small. Um, the forces don't feel quite right. Um, I don't know how much is that. I mean, the book's a bit more vague on it, and maybe maybe we shouldn't worry about assault on Helm's Deep, Legendary Legion. Maybe we should have scouts and things in there and think about the film, um, think about the book rather than the film. But the, it's definitely much more of a mixed force. It does feel like they've just taken a, an Isengard force that you'd, with what that you'd spend fifteen hundred points on if you're going to spend fifteen hundred points on an Isengard force based on the collection at the time, like you said for like Verasku and Ugluck and the, the characters rather than sort of generic captains and stuff. So um, it doesn't feel like the uh, besieging force in the same way as um, what was portrayed in the film with just the mass upon ranks of heavily armored troops with pikes and stuff that would be needed maybe to try and uh, attack. Um, yeah, it's it's fine. It's a nice read. It doesn't it doesn't have the same kind of charm as the earlier one did. It doesn't feel like it's trying to follow the the idea of the film the same way. Um, and I suppose maybe the using having Aoma on the walls is book correct rather than the film. So maybe in, maybe that way it's right. I don't know. Um, it's fine. But it, it, again, I didn't take an awful lot from it. Other than I quite like the you know the, the, some of the key points like the um, third and right side and thinking right well they've, they've they've put them into the scenario we need to find a way of making sure some of those things happen so we need to write that into the scenario whether that happens at, at given turn times or whether that happens after certain things have been triggered I'm not sure but it'd be nice to nice to find a way to put them in and that's the main takeaway I, I took to take forward but again it's nice to flick through it's lots of nicely painted models and um um, does look quite cool. Um, the overview looks quite cool. It is, I mean, it is a big overview game. Um, they just, unfortunately, they've clearly not got that proper Helm's Deep model in the studio anymore. They're using a the smaller thing, um, which uh, is a shame because I think if you combine the two um, things, um, it could be even better. Yeah, it's cool though. It's all right. Um, so, and that's it as far as I'm aware, isn't it? And, of the battle report. So, do you guys want to say anything else about that before we kind of move on? I'm just storming ahead there, but have you got any other points you'd like to make? No, 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 I agree. No, no, no. It's, uh, that is all I can think of, and it's more than I actually originally thought of as well. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't, you know, went into that not really knowing how much I'd get out of it. I thought, well, we could end up with a battle report here. And I was just, right, that's brilliant. That's everything I want. I'm going to copy it across and, and use it for ours. But um, it was just nice to read them, really. Um, they're probably not as important in terms of giving us um, ideas as, as the rules will be in the future scenarios we're about to discuss now. But So let's move on to the scenarios then. Um, again, I think these are all the scenarios that have been published. Um, one of them I nearly missed. It was only when I remembered talking to Jeremy about his favourite one because there's one hidden in the appendix of the Siege of Gondor supplement. But uh, let's start with the um, Two Towers version of the rules. So we mentioned those already because they use them in the first um, battle reports. And I think we've got pages 102, 104, 106, 108. I think there's four scenarios. Um, um, Dan, do you want to... Rather than picking on Sam all the time, Dan, what are your thoughts on these scenarios as a bit of an overview? Well, we've we've touched on um, scenarios five and six, which are the uh, the deeping wall and defend the gateway because they were what was played. Yes, in the adjoining white dwarf articles. Yeah. Um, I think they're too restrictive on the heroes, um, especially because in the second scenario of the two scenario six, uh, the defend the gateway you can't get hold of um, Aragorn and Gimli till turn six. Yes. Um, that puts, th- there's a bit of a theme through a lot of this, particularly the two towers rule set. It seems very heavily weighted towards the evil side. It may just be by perception. I never played these scenarios at the time. So people might be just going actually in practice. It's not, but they do seem particularly difficult to play with the good I suppose, you know, um, like a lot of other GW games have been designed that way. Space Hulk, for instance, is much harder to play the Terminators than Gene Steelers. Yes. Those who have, you know, those who are aware of that, if you're not, look it up. It's a great game. Um, It's it's difficult to be the hero in a lot of the old Games Workshop stuff. Um, And it definitely seems the case in this. You get less access to your big choppy heroes, and a lot of it is requiring you to defend against, at least stat-wise, one-on-one, which a lot of these uh, siege, you're fighting one-on-one, they're superior, the Uruks. Um, they hit harder than the models defending, so you need those heroes to make a difference. Yes. And you're deliberately denied them till later. Yeah, I think I think that's... Um, I think that's maybe they're trying to get across that that was the feeling anyway. It felt like it was a, almost an impossible battle, didn't it? There were so many people there, especially once the wall, was, the, the wall had been blown. You know, it's uh, it wasn't until that that Gandalf and Aema or Erkenbrand, depending on which version you want to go with, arrived that the the battle was saved. So maybe they're trying to get that feeling across the desperation of defending the walls from these the mass amount of uh, of of Uruks. Maybe that's maybe that's what they're trying to get across. Um, yeah, I mean, that does definitely seem to be the case. Um, then when we come to scenario seven, which is Theoden rides out. Now this one definitely seems very difficult. For the um, the good side, it's basically Theoden and his posse riding out from the hall uh, at Helm's Deep through the Hornburg uh, to, to basically attempt to leave. Yeah, and basically, if the evil characters who could bear in mind at this point get a fifty percent bow limit, so they can up to fifty percent if they kill one of the characters, the good characters, they win. Yeah, yeah and you can place them up on the walls out of stampede shot from. All of the uh, cavalry, 
because bearing in mind everything's mounted on a horse in this game for the good side um it seems very difficult especially in our current rules yeah maybe that's what it is i don't don't know the rules to set from back then how it compared whether it had been different or not but um i yeah i, I like it but I, I don't think there's any real use to us other than Again, it just highlighting, yes, these are the key bits that I'd really like to see, these key narrative bits that I'd like to see in our big game. Um, yeah, if you tried to line it up so this was possible to play in the way that this is being played, you'd risk stalling yeah. the rest of the game in order to make the pieces line up. All it tells me is that I want the bit when they ride out, and probably just from the main gates. We don't need to complicate it from the inside, and the model wouldn't allow that anyway. But I quite like the idea of having you know playing this as a narrative scenario and having fun and actually playing him riding all the way through. Because um, it's a, bit, a little bit different, gives a bit more, a bit more of a detailed. Obviously, we we're looking at the pictures here, looking at the maps, and it sort of shows the inner wall and the, the gateway and the road in between. So you've kind of you're almost magnifying down into that area, aren't you? And I quite like it. I think it'd be fun to sit and play in an evening with with some beers. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be rather than an inspiration. I don't think it's going to be any any use, so to speak. I've always found the um, theatre and riding it. Obviously, we know they do it in the book. We know it makes a great dramatic set piece in the movie, but all it tells me is that all of the siege ballista gunners decided to have a day off because <laughs> that column of cavalry on a narrow causeway facing towards the artillery. Yeah, I've played Warhammer Fantasy Battle. That ain't happening. <laughs> there, there, there's going to be mincemeat all over those walls, and that's the end of that. Or maybe at that point, I suppose by that point that the main gate is breached, the wall is breached, that the. the- the Uruks are swarming supposedly into maybe at that point the the ballista um, um, crew are just gone right. Let's just bloodlust. Let's just charge in, and they've they've left their uh, left their ballistas in the back lines because they want to go and uh, um, wreck the castle. Um, but, but, oh, yeah. it definitely makes sense. It's just I've always thought that for the, you know if I was playing Uruks and you ride all those out. It would be very hard for me to resist firing my uh, my siege rifle at them. Well, maybe that little discussion we've had there says that um, I don't know. This will be something that comes up more as a conclusion as we talk about it. It's going to be a real tough balance, I think, trying to get all these things in, um, and that we don't have a big character dying in the first turn or something like that that spoils some of these big key moments from happening but then we also don't want to make it so descriptive that we might as well forget put the dice down and just push the models around going yeah 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 and pew 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 because um as much as we're big big boys playing with toy soldiers we we do i still want it to be an engaging game that we do have to scratch our heads at times and try and solve problems as well yes it's a narrative game not a match play game but i do want it to be a tactical challenge for both sides as well as being fun. So it's going to be that the hard bit's going to be trying to have that balance so that some of these cool things happen. Um, we'll have to work out a way of doing it, but yeah. Um, it's um, yeah. I mean, they're very interesting scenario. Um, we'll go on to scenario eight, which is the relief. Mm-hmm. Now this one for starters is 60 Uruks for this 20 with spear 20 or pike 20 with uh, sword and shield. And 20 with crossbows. <laughs> 20 crossbows. That's mad. Um, and the conditions are um, good win if they, one, achieve 50% of the enemy killed without losing a single hero. Yeah. Or 100% if they lose one. But if they lose two, they automatically lose. And yeah. with 20 crossbows. <laughs> yes. That's, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, well, it's kind of what you were talking about a little bit before, isn't it? Um, it's because you've got 
participants on both sides, isn't it? The participants are Theoden, Gamling, Aragon, Aema, Gandalf and Legolas all mounted on horses. So um, Gandalf should be coming from the, yeah, it's a bit, it's, what's it supposed to be, you know, depicting? Because Gandalf's supposed to arrive at dawn, isn't he, from the other side, and but he seems to be suddenly amongst the heroes emerging from Helm's Deep. Or am I missing something? It just seems a little bit... No, it, it does. It is split up by that. So they do appear in there, but it's, oh, I see, yeah. again, very simplified because you're putting that many big heroes into it. Yeah, it's and because it's not that expensive. Yes. Yeah, it's. I mean, nowadays they would be because that many orcs for crossbows is incredibly expensive. Not just heaven forbid in cash. I hate <laughs> to have to pay for that army at the moment. Um, if you could get it. That'd be the issue at the moment. I mean, even if we decided to use this scenario to play, we would definitely have to do this and you can the get, far from you, future because we can get the stock. You can get all of that stuff at the moment. The oh yeah, all of it. I'm just not sure you'd be able to buy that many crossbows. No, no. I, well, I've got. I mean, if I got, I've got about six or seven. Not many, I think. Um, I've only got four. Yeah, but that you know, it might be enough. I think um, if Ben joins us for the game, he's got some as well. So I think, oh, I think we'll, we'll have plenty. We'll have enough. But I think that scenario twenty is probably a little steep. Yeah, how much are they for four? Um, I want to say sixteen quid or something like that, maybe. So yeah, would would start getting pricey if you didn't have any at all. Um, <laughs> Which I don't. <laughs> so it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be a little, a little bit pricey. Um, Sam, what are you what are your do you have any kind of thoughts on those scenarios? Anything you you liked or didn't like? Or anything you think we can use or, or it's this one is very much uh, it has quite something that you don't see in a lot of. I'm going to say this for most GW things. Um, the, the actual terrain rules in this book about how, like, it even tells you how wide the causeways have to be so that you can't get more than two people standing side by side, but so that one person can block it. Yeah. Um, so the actual terrain rules in this book are fantastically written. Like, there's lots of stuff for you to go, oh, wow. So you can actually start, it tells you how to play tactically effectively with all the terrain and how you can do this and how you can do that. Yeah. Um, However, this was the, out of all of the supplements and stuff that I went through, this was the last one I did. And uh, without trying to ruin too much for you, I just wrote a poor man's journey book on it. (laughs) Um, And the rules in this one felt more like a D&D skirmish book to me than it did like the Two Towers book. Because there's a lot of like setting up this exact amount of models doing this and that. uh, But they're all on smaller scales. Right. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can understand that. I think again, I think it's none of these things are going to be super, super useful because we're looking at doing a grant battle, and these are individual bits of it laid out. And yeah, the deeping wall is is gives you an idea of how that you might want those bits to play out. I think one thing that's useful in this and the previous things as well, especially this one actually, is that it gives you might start to give us an idea about think get us thinking about where we want to deploy models and whether we just want to let the defenders deploy wherever or do we want to be a little bit descriptive and say no Aragorn and, and Legolas and Gimli need to be on this section of the wall to start with and Theoden needs to be here because that's where they were in the film and we want to try and if we want to recreate these key moments they need to be in the right place to do it and, and how we manage that and then um, when we're playing the game do we 
just go right it's just we started the game it's just a siege game now we play the game and they go wherever needed or maybe we can do it in a way where you can get vps for doing narrative things maybe we can do it that way so there's still an element of playing the game and 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 giving us some tactical challenge but but we'll get more points for actually recreating things if that makes sense i don't know if that can work but uh (laughs) i think you've hit the nail on the head there perfectly in this and this is something that i thought more as this conversation has gone on if you want to play helms deep you play lots of small missions if you want to play a big siege game you play a big siege game but not helms deep yeah because the thing the thing i've got from the two small games versus the one big game is that trying to do all the stuff from the film is quite hard to do in one big game yeah. but trying to do all the things in the film with lots of stuff is seems to be the big problem and you you might disagree but it seems that you either play a, a big siege or you play helms deep there's not i don't think from a playability point of view you can maybe have missions where you get extra victory points but it doesn't feel like you can do the yeah, you might be right, and we, and you have to accept by playing a big game, which is what we're going to do essentially, because yeah. that's what we've, we're building up to, and just because visually it'll look better. Um, mm. You're right; you you can't guarantee that you're going to recreate all those key moments. So, as I said, the challenge is going to be trying to find a way that maybe we can work that into the game. So, whether that's trigger points at certain turns, so you know by a certain turn that, that Aemer and Gandalf are going to arrive. Um, that you say that if maybe Aragorn and Legolas and sorry, well if Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli and Theoden and and Gambling, um, you get points for each one that survives and and gets to a certain point by turn X, and then if they do, they get to ride out or something like that. So maybe they might not all make it out, but you'll still do some kind of ride out. So there'll be some deviation from the from the film because you can't just like I said, you can't just recreate it. Otherwise, you just might as well put away the dice. But um, that might be the way to do it is to try and give yourself some extra bonus kind of in-game sub-games that actually gives us a reason to maybe think, well, if I charge Aragorn in here, he's going to kill all these Uruks, and that's the best thing to do for the game. But I can get VPs by going in the opposite direction and, and going to help Theoden and then eventually get to ride out or something like that. So that's going to be a challenge. And if we can do it, if we can write, come up with some, some rules that will, that will make it work, then I think that would be really cool. We might be able to kind of get the best of both worlds um, or just end up diluting both versions and, and doing neither. <laughs> it been awful, but we can try. Um, anyone else got any more um, thoughts on the stuff that's in the, uh, the two towers um, edition of the rules, those, those scenarios? No, I'll just reiterate, it seems to want you to play very hero-heavy, particularly in something good, and seems to punish you for it. It's a bit... Yeah. It's a very interesting way of writing rules. And Yeah, I, well, maybe one of the... Um, maybe one of the ways around that, then, is to make sure that we do have enough regular troops there that enables us to have the freedom to move those... Heroic, heroic characters into the areas that they need to be in order to recreate the the, the key moments from the film and from from the book. If that makes sense, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, we're, if if they're relying on them, you know, if we're relying on them to do too much of the heavy lifting just to do the normal the normal killing, um, 
then that might be a problem. So if we have a, almost have enough so that they're free to kind of do the fun bits, then that could be good. Um, cool. So let's move on to the, the next bit then. So the next set of scenarios are in the Two Towers Journey book, um, pages 60, 60, sorry, 72 and 76. Um, who wants to go first with, with these? Well, mine's quite... Quick and succinct. So, um, yeah. scenario thirteen: the Deeping Wall. I've just got much more book because yeah. it has done landings and no elves. Uh, however, it has less berserkers. So, woo, much less berserkers. Um, it's a very, very simplified um, end condition. Yeah. So basically, ten evil warriors on the good side of the Deeping Wall means they win. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> So um, it's very straightforward. Um, I think it's, in some respect, by giving you that very simple definition of what's a victory and what's not, it allows you to then create the fun and the narrative within your game because you're less fussed about the minutiae, you're more fussed about having just a fun game. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, um, I mean, the whole nature of the journey book is to take you on a excuse this excuse me being obvious but to take you on a journey within the game isn't it um the idea is that you can kind of work your way through the book and paint a few models build a bit of scenery and then play a scenario mm. and, and ca- carry on going and and it's designed with that context in in mind that they, they don't it's, it's a decent sized game still especially you still need a it's not a huge game it's sort of 550 for the good isn't it and 850 for the evil which is obviously points from back then but it's not a tiny, tiny game, but um, it's still um, still sizable enough that if you're working your way through the book and, and collecting miniatures as you go, it's um, you don't want to make it into yeah. suddenly turn the page and there's build Helm's Deep, all of it. <laughs> you need to start with a six by four bit of wood. It would be out of keeping with the rest of the book. That's the point I'm trying to get at, probably. Yeah, uh, it's much more scalable. Um, yeah, scenario 14, which is Into the Breach. Again, it's far more book, um, although both scenarios do give you the chance to play it either as book or movie. So you can swap, for instance, AMR for Haldir in uh, Into the Breach. Yeah. So it gives you more options. Um, I did try and work out where on earth the fortress is supposed to be, because that's where Aragorn's supposed to start from, and the map wasn't very clear on where exactly the fortress is supposed to be. No. That did annoy me at the time. Um there is no Legolas. He's definitely supposed to be there. Yeah, um, point, actually. But um, the one thing that I got from this whole entire journey book, and it was the coolest thing about it, before each of the scenarios, you had a lovely article, beautifully made article, I'll put, how to build the scenery you're going to be fighting over. Yeah. I love that. It's literally, I, I miss the days when... I mean, I understand why they do it because the Citadel makes far more terrain than ever used to. It's not just those same Necromunda bulkheads and various plastic, uh, you know, cardboard kits that you pop out and assemble. They built uh, the GW scenery these days is wonderful, but I do miss the days when they told you how to make stuff. Yeah, particularly if they don't do it, tell us how to make it, and then build it later and say, yeah, that cool stuff you've done before. Here's how to do it really easily in plastic and give us loads of money. <laughs> why not? Why not? Because that's a really good way of getting people enthused about building these amazing things. And then if people aren't able to necessarily do that, here's these amazing other kits that you can buy. For instance, people have been making, you know, uh, Rohan buildings and things. I've seen some wonderful stuff, but then they made these beautiful plastic ones. Beautiful. Yes. yes. Well, the whole the whole article's 
I mean, we've, we've sort of zoned in to start with um, on, or like I read the page numbers out of, on the two scenarios themselves. The actual section for the Battle of Helm's Deep starts on page 64. You start with a bit of an overview map of the whole thing and some pictures of models and pictures from the film. And then you've got some painting stuff. And it's not a proper tutorial, but it does tell you the colours to use to paint some Murakai warriors. It's got a, a bit of a stage by stage on painting an Isengard troll, an introduction to siege um, machines. So you've got your blister and your battering ram there, um, some bits for the elven warriors. And then it kind of grows into building the deep in wall um so yeah it's kind of it's, it's like i said it's project based it's fun a lot of it i suppose we're past that already aren't we we you know as i said castle built we're already kind of have a fairly fairly set idea on the sort of size of armies or an idea about what collection we've got and how sensible we're going to be on what to buy extra if anything because we you know we won't keep playing this game <laughs> so there's no point in you know, having too many models that you're never going to use so i want to be a sensible economic balance between making the game look good and and buying another box of 24 warriors that you're never going to use apart from in this one game as well but so i think a bit like the the last ones it's very um it gives you some ideas about how those bits of the game you might like them to work but in in a grand scheme it might not um might not help us that much we're not really taking too much from it um I, I think it's useful to know that the evil size has 300 more points um attacking the wall which might help us with a balance a bit later when we look at lists and things all right what, what do you think sam is you, you taking anything from from this yeah um this is the one i've written the most about uh so do you want to do your bit and then i come in or are you happy for me to go for all my no, no you go for it i mean that was that was it for me really it didn't really stand out as i, I i'm looking at it very much from a kind of a how much use is this going to be and apart from reading it and thinking, okay, it was just confirming that for me, like the last one, that I really want to find a way to get some of the key things to happen, but I don't want to play it in a little separate scenario. So it's how those work. So it's exactly the same summation, really, from, 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 the, from the last lot of uh, scenarios. Okay. Um, I, I, I agree with a lot of the stuff that Dan said about this book. I wrote, this is the best book by far. Um, it reminds me of the good old GW White Dwarf style of army painting, terrain, and missions all in the same book. Yes. Because it's teaching you how to build the terrain and paint it. It's teaching you how to build the models and paint it. It's teaching you how to do the missions, and it just it goes through everything. Yes, and I love the I, books. I absolutely love love the way it works. It was, yeah, it's just more of a relevance point of view for what we were trying to achieve. But yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a fantastic book, and I like the way it kind of takes you on that little journey. The I don't know if you noticed this, and it might have been in the other ones, but I only saw it in this book. Was that at the on the back page? It's got the references for everything in this particular journey book. Uh-huh. So it's got a little reference sheet for all of your characters and stuff. So you don't have to go through searching for the um, Rohan guys and um, your Rangers of Athelion because they're in this book as well. It's all on the back page. So you've got all of the stat lines and stuff from there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, forgot about that. But yeah, it doesn't it. It's the one this, we just put out with something else. Th- yeah, yeah. Find it. This, this book isn't designed for the siege of um helm's deep it is to play out if you want to go in and play almost like you're playing of the old uh two towers uh ea game on yeah. the playstation yeah, you sense. you are doing the deeping wall you are doing 
I think it's fantastic. It's got the mission where you basically have Aragorn and Gimli on the um, the ramp leading up to the door, and they basically start at the door, and then you've got the Uruk High just down the ramp, and they basically run at each other. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was a fantastic little. It is just loads of little missions, and probably something more to my taste, but not what we're looking for. Uh, for like playing the big siege of Helm's Deep. Yeah, that's exactly it. Exactly it. Um, I, like Dan said, I loved that it offers the like a film swap and a points version as well. So each mission comes with the option of doing a points version of it or um, switching like between uh, was it uh, Aoma to How Dear? Did you say Dan? Yeah, yeah. Um. Just going over like the Into the Breach is on a nice two-by-two tile. Um, It starts the game where all the good are lying down and the uh, evil all are in like a nice bottleneck. They basically start on the other side of the wall and they have to go through the bottleneck. But because all the good are lying down, it's not as terrible. Like if you get first turn, you could hopefully get a few through before you start getting pelted. Yeah. With Um, the exception of Gimli though, because he's a stout little man. He is. Um (laughs) I can't remember why I wrote this down, but I put a bloody troll with a heart next to it. <laughs> so there's a mission. There's a, I think there's a picture of the troll. Oh, it's on the into the breach. There's a picture in the book where the troll's just coming through. And I was like, um, the shadow of the Hornberg mission yeah. is probably one of the best board designs. And this, this goes around that whole playing small, missions for me because it means I can get it out of my dining room table and don't have to um, set up a six by four board because um, it's played on a one by 1.5 foot board. Yeah. It was cool, isn't it? It's good fun. Yeah. Um, and then I said on the theater and rides out mission that you could play it without the gate. You don't need it there. Um, but if you wanted to have the terrain there just for like an awesome looking table, you could have it there. Um me personally, I thought this was the best book, but it's not the best book for what we want to do. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we all agree on that. It's um, I mean, it, it does have an overview the... one. The it, do, it has the overview siege of Helm's Deep thing, doesn't it? For a big game, fifteen hundred points aside, but it is a double page spread that is very little rules. So it's pretty much these are your two forces. Um, go for it, and then if you get to turn eight. Third and runs out. So uh, again, taking as a bit of an overview that might help us. Um, but um, who knows how the narrative is actually going to play out? I definitely don't understand why the forces are done quite the way they are. It doesn't feel like it's going to be right. <laughs> um, yeah. It feels like the attackers need to have a lot more. I, I think they do, but we'll 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 see how that goes later on. But. All good fun, though. All good research, I suppose. And um, well, another thing about this book as well is that it gives it even talks about doing it as a campaign option. So, and it tells you about getting it so that um, as soon as your characters go down to zero wounds, they might not come back in the next battle. And it basically gives you that whole campaign feel. And it's optional; you don't have to do it. Um, but it also gives you that sort of thing of usually some in the games I played, people were very aggressive with their characters, but it means that if you're playing the campaign version, you might not be able to be as aggressive with your characters because they could be dead. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was a nice touch. 
yeah definitely definitely i i, I think it's um it's, it's a lovely book i love those journey books and they're lovely to read through but um it probably didn't give me any more in terms of kind of things I could take away to use other than the, the, the earlier scenarios that we've already seen. Um, just gives you, and even the battle reports where they've got those key areas. It just, I can, I keep repeating myself, but it's those kind of, we need to see how we, how we make the ride out bit happen, how we make these, these little things work in a way that reminds us or makes us feel like the, the film stroke book. Okay, so moving on to the next things, we've got quite a lot to go through. Moving on to the next um, publication, so to speak, is we actually have the Lord of the Rings Siege of Gondor supplement. And, and I didn't know, when I'd read everything else and then found, found I was looking back at a message that um, Jeremy sent me ages ago when he mentioned about when we're talking about Hell's Deep and he said that his favourite one was in, in such and such I thought I wonder if it was something different and it was so there's an appendix at the end of this Siege of Gondor book called Siege of Helm's Deep and you've got a few pages at the back which are great and I think it introduces your demolition charges and, and um, rules for, for Urukai and stuff like that but then you you get on to yep more scenarios <laughs> um, so you've got um Act 1, the defences must hold, um, which is the kind of main siege. And then you've got Act 2, which is 4th Aelingus, which is um, the, the kind of uh, riding out and, uh, and and the relief, so to speak. Um, but uh, I don't know, what do you guys think about this one? I quite I quite liked it, and it, I liked the maps for it. They were really good. The overview map of the castle and um, the border gives you an idea of how you might space things out. Um, but what's people's overview on this one? Uh, again, a lot of the ground's been, you know, we've already been treading it. Yeah. But defense must hold, shaman. Yeah. I love that. It's a real touch on the books. And it's a good use of the model. We, we never see it. So it's quite cool that there's a scenario where he's included. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's also the uh, no courage tests if you're broken for the good side on either of these scenarios, which I think shows the desperation of the situation. Basically, they've sold themselves to death already, so they'll just fight on until they're dead. Yeah. I really like that, and I think that's something we could definitely use. Oh, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't even considered it, but yeah, that's uh, um, definitely interested. Or I, maybe, I think even we could play just... along the lines of as long as some of the key heroes like Theoden and Aragorn are still alive, they don't take um, tests for being less than 50%. Yeah, you still get, we could say you still get your points for, for breaking if we decide to work that into victory points, which might be a way of doing it. I quite like the idea of there have been lots of ways to earn victory points to keep the game interesting, but as I said, not necessarily always have to go after the what is the best bit in that particular situation in the game. Um, but um, yeah, anyway, so I'm interrupting. No, I did, I did quite like um, those particular uh, things that came out of it. Uh, yeah, definitely the the fifth time for courage thing. I I think we should make use of that. Uh-huh. I think it evens out certain discrepancies between the two. Because uh, unfortunately, when once um, some of those good uh, courage rolls start to get you know made, they they might fold quite quickly, and that would be a shame. Given yeah. the fact that we're likely to start respawning uruks and stuff to give that sort of scalability of the battle i think the ability for the good not to just crumble if you kill too many of them yeah she might be right um i suppose there wasn't many lenny i mean there was the the line of 
Aragorn, you know, your men have died fighting. They, they still die. You know, they're still dying fighting them. Yeah. He says that's theater. And I, I think the idea is that they're just not going to run away because there's nowhere to run away to. And they'll be shamed by running into the caves. So they're just going to stand and die. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think we might be today. Even if it's just within the main keep, so maybe the, the on the deeping wall, they might end up being cut down, so to speak. But the the ones actually in the main keep of the castle, maybe the rules apply in there or something like that. Um, but yeah, I quite like that. I haven't even thought of it to be honest with you. So that's that's quite quite cool. I mean, again, like we said, it's very very similar, isn't it, to the other things? It's uh, it's an overview game. It gives a way of doing it. Um, I think. It's quite simple objectives, isn't it? So the objectives for this game, the game is played until 15 turns have elapsed, at which point the assault will stall unless the evil force have seized enough of the fortress and the game ends. Um, there are five locations of strategic importance in Helm's Deep, the Deeping Wall, Five Step, the Deeping Wall Gate, the Hornburg, the main gate at the start of the courtyard. Um, so I quite like the idea of having some objectives. So we might be able to do that, that holding those gives VPs. Think that could work um yeah i think um we could do something funky with banners having yeah. your banner on those objectives yeah that could work or just I mean, it depends on how many banners we have and you don't want to be able to not claim an objective if your banner's been killed so to speak but i definitely like the idea of earning vps by being on certain points and we can make those points part that the narrative film or book narrative importance, so to speak. So it's actually again driving you know, your your heroes and and things to the point where you can recreate things. So we can actually force the narrative by by making it making it a point for it to be there. So I quite like that. Um, and they what's the other special rule? They have unrelenting results uh, assaults. So that Saruman's forces are innumerable for every foe slain it takes its place. So basically, the whole um, respawning thing we've been talking about. So they've used that as well. Um, so that again, we, we talked about it before we read all of these. How important that respawning was going to be just to help us with the amount of models we have to paint. I'd like enough to start to it looks amazing at the start of the game, but. Yeah, I'll, 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 if we, if we want to double the points of the defenders, at least if not more, we would definitely want to look at us doing some kind of respawn. Um, what about yourself, Sam? Have you got any kind of anything that stands out from these scenarios? No, um, only thing that's something's just reminded me about it whilst looking at it is that um, there's a big difference between which publication you're looking at as to whether. Aragorn carries Andwil and heavy <laughs> armor. Like it, it is very much a, a you film or book. Does he have the sword or not? Yes, yes. Um, which I don't think makes like a necessarily like a massive difference to the games, but it's certainly it, it's a big thing. I don't think he has it in the Legend Legion. He's definitely got heavy armor, isn't he? That's included in his points. I think. Um, I will grab that up and have a little look. So, Dan, were you going to say something? Yeah, so that, again, I noted as well, there doesn't be um, consistency. So you'll end up with something that's incredibly movie-heavy for the most part, but they won't let you take um, Anderil. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it given how much of a force multiplier uh, Anderil would be, especially if you've got trolls on the field. Yes, um, yeah. That's a decision to make, whether we want to go movie or book on that one. Yeah, it's Strider with armor. Um, 
165 points in the Legendary Legion for the Defenders. Um, so yeah, so if we go, we, so we can play around with those things if we want to. I like the idea of using those Legendary Legions as a basis, but this is a narrative game. Um, and I'm very happy to make changes if we feel that's the right thing to do for the, for the situation. Um, as long as it doesn't make him too powerful, we can always go down the route of, um, the, or down the route of book there, definitely. But yeah, it's um, I, I, it's it's a very simple scenario, but I quite like it in its simplicity. I like the fact that there's it's a big game, so the way they've got around it is to put some objectives there, and you want to control those key objectives, and that the the attacking force respawns, and that's essentially what it is. And um, it's quite like up the um, charge of charge of the Rohirrim as well. It does so, it does, which it's, is quite nice in my eyes. Yeah, and it, and I think if you're playing it like that it makes sense because I thought you don't know who's going to be left at the end of the game to do it and that's one of the challenges we're going to have isn't it about who gets to ride out if it happens it may be that bit doesn't happen but um, AMO and Gandalf turning up I'd like to do um, so that can happen no matter what because they won't be on the table the, the the danger there would be that they could turn up with nothing to kill if the, if the Isengarders have had a really bad day um, but again with respawning and we can we can change things live on the day if we need to, don't we? If things are looking really bad, we can just sort of send some extra respawning back in, even if we decided that you know there's a there's a limit on it. We can always say, look, they're getting slaughtered. Your dice have been awful, Sam. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that that's going to that be said regardless. Um, then we say, right, everyone gets to respawn dice, again. Though, it would be. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. That's only for deathmatch, though. That won't be like that when we. Uh, and then we play. It's, a good thing we play it. it's a good thing we play it over camera, isn't it? Otherwise, you'd be thinking, I'm just making it. Oh, sorry, Dan, I've just rolled another six. That's you. I can't even hear dice rolling. Oh, I've got some. I reckon yours is pre recorded. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but yeah, I don't want to kind of labour on because they were very similar, some of these scenarios. I don't want to kind of labour on it over and over again. But I'd like the bits I've said about it anyway. So I like the idea of objectives. So things br- that I'm getting from it, so to speak, so far is getting the key moments in from the battle if possible. Maybe giving VPs to encourage players to make sure the heroes are in position to do that. It could be aided by the, the objectives for controlling certain areas. I like that as well. So if we put one by the deeping wall, we put one, you know, by the main gate and things that that could help it, especially if we get extra VPs for having a certain hero there. Remember if we maybe we set it so that by the gate on turn ten you get an extra VPs if all of the heroes, good heroes, are there ready to ride out, and that, that triggers it or something. So there might be some ways to do it. That's 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 fun. That we can feels like a game still, um, but that but trigger it. But I like the objectives. I like the fact that, that it's it's reminding me of all the main key parts I want to do. Um, and I think the hardest bit to get right will be to make sure the right people are alive for for the ride out um, without sort of faking the game, so to speak. Um, Right then, so moving swiftly on to the next publication, um, and I didn't expect there to be one in this, but we have the uh, Kingdoms of Men um, supplement, so the uh, the army list supplement essentially, and that uh, does have a Relief of Helm's Deep scenario on page 46. Um, I don't know if you can hear, but I'm rubbing my hands together just because there's one massive thing that I need, that I want to talk <laughs> about this book, and it's it's laughable as to how skewed the mission in this book is. So why don't you go for it then? You, you tell us all about this. <laughs> so <laughs> it specifically says uh, about all the named characters that you get for the good side. Uh, and then it 
it says that the good side then also picks 400 points of um, of good and then 600 points of evil, which is quite nice. You you get a little bit. You get all your heroes, but then you also get your evil. Now, I don't know how quick your maths is, um, but I tallied. There's only a certain amount of the characters actually in this book. So what I've done is I've looked at, and their points seem to be similar to the ones that are in the current Armies of Lord of the Rings book. So I'm taking the ones who aren't in it. So I tallied up the points of how many, how much people are, and I haven't put all the gear on everybody, specifically on Gambling. I didn't give him the banner. Yeah. But just by themselves, the characters for the good side come out at 850 points. Are you, are you basing that on the latest um, army list, though, Sam? So have you used the points? So that's Theoden, Gambling, uh, and Aoma mm-hmm. are, and this is even without the, these are from the book that we're looking at now. Oh, right, that was the question. Uh, Aoma, it's just that they've got more expensive over edition. So you're actually talking about the points values that are in in the book itself. Um, so Theoden, Gambling, and Aema are basically almost the same points as they are in the current rules. Right. So I used their points from this book, yeah. and then because they're similar, I used the other characters. I used their points right, in the thanks. new book. So Theoden and Gambling and Aema by themselves are... Oh, this is me trying to do maths now. 140. Uh, nearly 300 points just by themselves, and that's not giving gambling the banner or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Because so Gandalf's so about gonna, 200 points by himself. I'm guessing that what they're trying to do is show that um, at that stage of the battle, that the, 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 the riders charging down the hill are turning up for a site you know up against the Nisengard force that's already been well battered for a long grueling night um because they are going to outnumber them points wise aren't they because it's the wording is you take Theoden, gambling aima and up to 400 additional points of their followers and warbands so like you said if it's already 300 points um you could be you were looking at a 700 point um army taking on 600 points of Isengard. I'd be intrigued to see how much the points was for the other guys, so Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, because that it it's just eight hundred and fifty. Oh yeah, they're free as well, aren't they? So yeah, those yeah, you're talking you're talking massively massively skewed. It depends, I suppose, that they're looking at it. They want to make sure that that the good people win and ride all over them, and that's oh for sure. um, It was more of a. I just looked at it and I thought it was hilarious. You wouldn't wouldn't want to play this as the Isengard player, would you? Really. Um, no, unless I had your dice. <laughs> well, even then, you, you, yes. you, you wouldn't want to be doing it. Um, I haven't got much to say about it, really. I didn't know it. I didn't, didn't expect it to be in there. It's, 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 it's the relief of Helm's Deep. I made me. It's probably when I started thinking about this more with Aima coming out soon. Or hopefully, we're recording this um, just before he's been released. The pre-orders have already been paid for by me anyway i've got mine on the way um i really want to use that model in the game and at one point i was deciding whether we do this bit whether we just do the main siege etc and then just end it as that would have arrived but i actually thought no i'd like to have the models on the table which means painting more models but um i don't you know i don't think there's anything from the actual rules of the game that we could take with us other than knowing that 
yeah, I want to do the um, I want to do the relief. I want Gandalf and uh, and probably Aylmer. I think I'd probably like to do film rather than book, um, just because of the imagery that's in my head. But um, we can we can debate that. We can always put Aylmer on the walls and put Erkenbrand riding to uh, to to relief if we if we want to do that. Um, but yeah, I couldn't take much from it for any use. But you were right; it just seemed very, very. If we were reviewing it as a as a scenario for people to play, it just seemed a little bit skewed. But uh, Dan, have you got any thoughts on it other than? Oh, I was quickly doing a quick tot up of the um, the remaining people um, of uh, from the actual Two Towers books. But essentially, it is just a copy of Scenario Eight from the Two Towers rule book, just with an added courage bubble on Theoden. Yeah. Um, I yeah didn't care for it. It's about as about as much as I can say for that one. Yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, it doesn't look doesn't look particularly fun to play if you're unless you're the um, the Rohan player anyway. Do you? It doesn't look a bit. Um, but yeah, we'll just move swiftly on. Really, it's not really a lot a lot of use to us, um, but it's there. Um, so and then that kind of brings us on into the modern age, really. Uh, as far as I'm aware, um, there may be other stuff out there. So as I said earlier in the in the in the recording, let's give us a shout, give us an email, and say you've missed this scenario or this this write up or this battle report, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I don't think there is anything else. Um, so it brings us on to the new age and war in Rohan, and then we have lots of scenarios here. Um, so there's a big. Um, full battle helms deep full game scenario um but before that there are nine scenarios i believe yes. um pages 26 to 41 i think and it's broken down into sections so we've got raise the ladders the walls of helms deep plant the charges the deeping walls breached retreat to the hornberg the causeway fall back to the keep ride out and then aimer's return so that's pretty much the whole film narrative broken down into those individual bits that we've been talking about and we've seen elements of that in the previous publications and you know and and i suspect there'll be some very similar observations from us as yes this is brilliant but you know if we're going to do one big game we're not going to do all these individual bits um but it's still worth sort of discussing them i suppose and seeing if there's any elements in there or what i think just reading that list does for us it maybe give us a list of some of those key things and thing. How do we make sure that these things happen in our game in a way that it feels like Helm's Deep, but um, still it still is a game, so to speak. Um, I think blowing up the wall and bre- trying to breach the front door are going to be natural things anyway. But who knows? It could happen out of a film order, couldn't it? If we if it's done in a certain way. So um, so thoughts, guys. Anyone have any initial thoughts? Do we do we want to kind of? I don't I suppose there's. I don't think there's any point in us kind of going into a deep review of every single scenario um, because I, th- I think we've already discussed from the others that we're not going to be breaking it down into individual things, but are there any kind of key bits from those that, pe- that, that we like, that we like to use? Well, I like the fact there's 16 berserkers on Razor Ladders. More berserkers means more fun. <laughs> so I'm definitely up for that one. And I was going to say, is there something we please not include? And that is the very embarrassing Legolas shield slide down the stairs. Can we please not include that? <laughs> yeah. It's not my favourite part of the film either, to be honest with you. There's it a, there's it a makes of, me want to die inside. There's a couple of bits 
with, and they all involve him, to be honest with you. I don't like the backwards leap onto the horse in the wag attack bits. This is really nothing to do with Helm's Deep. And as much as I like the joke of him killing all the people on the mummock and saying, and Gimli saying it still only counts as one, didn't really like him sort of sliding down the trunk and stuff at oh, the end. But, but, but you know. I can forgive the film those things, but yeah, I don't. We, we won't. We won't be putting that into it. I don't see there's any point in that. And I don't. If we're going to struggle enough to queue up the bits, we're really important to it. <laughs> to, to, to queue up a point when you get VPs for sliding a shield down some steps is going to be going to be difficult. So um, now I agree. I concur. So you mean we're not going to be doing the part where we have to rescue Gimli from the jacuzzi? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, and we're not gonna. We won't waste a turn while someone gets Gimli a box to stand on to see at the beginning of the game either. Um, no, no, that won't, that won't be needed. Roll a charisma check about the tossing <laughs> of a dwarf. Oh, God. I may have sourced a uh, a Rohan model to try and make uh, Peter Jackson though to place upon the gate. Oh wow! With a throwing spear. That I'm not making cool. any promises on that one, but I'm going to see what I can do with it. Uh, I think that would be quite cool. And if he kills something with a throwing spar, I think he should get some VPs. That would be really good. To be honest with you, like this is this is a, a bit of a weird thing. At the moment, I can't get hold of a king's huntsman. Um, so I, the list I have written using, if we go and follow proper rules, the list I have written from the, the Defenders of Helm's Deep list needs one more non-Lothlorian keyword model to stop it having too many Lothlorian. Um, so... And I was thinking, well, the king, I want the King's Huntsman in there to do that, um, but I can't get hold of the model unless I buy the whole Commander's pack. And I really don't want to do that because I've got a lot of the old metal heroes and stuff, and I just don't need three other non-mounted heroes that I'll never use um, after this thing, as nice as the models are. So I just really didn't want to buy, spend twenty four ninety nine for for one model, uh, nor do I want to buy them from the eBay sellers that are selling them at pretty much the cost of the whole box set on his own as well, because that would be pointless. I could, I might buy it and sell them off. But so if anyone's listening has got a King's Huntsman they don't need, I will love to buy them from you. But if Dan, if you you just if you do that conversion and paint him up, that's one more warrior of Rohan, and that will solve the problem. Um, oh well, I think I'm going to have to at this point, aren't I? Um, well, I can't get I have plans for it. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, up for that. Be a laugh. Uh, so, it, are there any? I'm conscious that that while these are the, the latest scenarios that we're not doing a review of this book and we may do at some point having played some of these things i do i don't want to skim over these individual scenarios but this is going to be a long segment as it is and i'm conscious that i don't want to do a review of each of these um how many did i say there were nine nine, nine individual scenarios knowing that we're going to say at the end of it yeah but we're not going to do them because we're doing a big game um but is there any key parts from any of these that you guys have picked out that you like, really want to in- include that? And I know Dan said there's something you didn't want to include, but I mean, I look at some of them, like the Raise the Ladders, you play it on a massive wide wall, don't you? Like Evil Deployment's 24 inches, the wall it's, it's wall's huge as well. Uh, six inch, oh, there's, no, that's the Walls of Helm's Deep, the second one. The the wall's like six inches deep or something, isn't it? So it's yeah, you're almost turning these into little mini scenarios, which are fantastic, but we're just not a lot of use. I couldn't really see a lot 
from it, to be honest with you. So the most I took away from it is the headings of them. And they were saying to me, do when do how do we get these sections into the into the game? How do we write these in in a, in a kind of a narrative sense? That, that's I think I there's away. some interesting little rules you could take from them including the main game, like, uh, for instance, the Walls of Helm's Deep. If you're pushed from the wall lane, you're done. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I think that, to be fair. you don't want to take falling damage. For, to be honest with you, the size of the walls I've built, um, your falling damage is probably going to kill you anyway if you if you did it. Yeah, I think we just cut the middle man out and say, you're gone, see you later. Yeah, Bye-bye. especially the main keep and stuff. Yeah, And, and it's going to be a big game. Um, it's going to take a long time. We're going to be nattering. We're going to be drinking beer. We're going to be having a laugh, taking photos and doing little videos and stuff as well. Anything that kind of speeds up some of that kind of gamekeeping stuff is just going to be easier. So, yes, I agree. That's a good shout. Yeah, things like um, the plus one strength on the ride out yeah. um, when they're going down the causeway, I think that's something we can push over because it's kind of a tie into, you know, um, riders of theatre and all that kind of stuff. Yep, I like that That kind of well. thing. If they're on the causeway or charging from the causeway, they gain plus one strength on that. Um, that turn, I think, you know, that that, that works quite well. Um, same thing when Aimer, his he makes his first charge and it slams in, the, I think, the bonus on that. Again, thematic and works for it. Little bits and pieces we can tear from it, I think. Yep, yep, makes sense to me. Um, I mean, they've got rules on ladders and stuff, but a lot of those are the same as in the main rule book anyway, so I think they're just repeated across a little bit. Like knocking down the ladders. Well, that's the, you know, it actually says as described on page 122 of the main rule book. Um, same with ladders. It's got the special rules for ladders. In other the heavy ob- objects require four models to carry, etc., etc. I think that's all in the rules for ladders in the main rule book as well, from memory. Um, so we've got walls of Helm's Deep. Any special rules there? The um, push from the walls. Yeah, that's on that's that bit, isn't it? Um, battlements of Helm's Deep. Yeah, the height of the walls of the battlements. Plant charges. Um, we will have to work out strength of the walls, but we'll come on to that in a little bit later. In the siege rules that are included in War in Rohan, um, there's some there's a table with some with some strength and, and, and damage um, for the walls, so we probably use those things if they're applicable. Um, um, Sam, is there anything you've that's popped up in any of these that you want to comment on, or you'll think that'll be really good to carry or try and get into our our main game? No, not that we've already discussed anyway. Um, it's certainly something that maybe having a look over on the day and going, right, or maybe sitting down between the three of us and going, right, okay, what scenario are we using in the broad sense of it? And like you said, working out what the extra victory points are. I think that's what we're going to have yeah. to do. Yeah, I, I suppose what it, what it obviously I said about the headings, it sort of talks about the, the, the key parts of the battle, so to speak, that would be nice to, to see reenacted if possible. What it does do is because of the participants' lists for each thing, well, we wouldn't follow the participants' list, obviously, because we have an overall army list, it does kind of show you where the heroes should be at those given points. Um, so it'll help again with where we have some kind of fixed deployment, at least for the heroes. Maybe we, that's prescribed to us at the beginning that we know exactly where the heroes are going to be. Um, but also it gives us an idea of, right, well, if that hero's here at this point and then they're here at this point, is that going to be a challenge to get them there in the game? Does it matter? Um, et cetera, et cetera. So it kind of helps us with forging that narrative a little bit um, and on planning that narrative rather than forging it, I suppose. Um, and some bits might not be needed, like the fall back to the keep section. I think 
if we are setting a objective that's at the keep that people need to get to in order to get their horses, so to speak, and then do the ride out bit. Um, that will naturally happen as it is anyway. Um, and there's like ride out. It's looks like a cool scenario, but again, it's just going to happen as part of a normal game. So, um, and then AMS return. Is there anything there? What's about? No, not really. Um, you, you've got the rules from the. I think for for AMS list, if we use the legendary legion as well, it's designed to be um, for that moment. I think that will give you all the special rules you need in order to give it the flavour it's needed as well, rather than just the, the, the what's in the narrative scenario. So I'm happy to move on to the main section of it, which is the, the main Helm's Deep battle. Um, what, what do you guys think of this one, compared to maybe some of the others? The other big oh, ones. I much prefer it. It's... Um... Well, we might as well go over it, really. Um, yes. There are five key objectives. For a start, it does recommend you um, put a weekend aside for it. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. It does tell you that. Um, there are five key objectives. So basically, whether a Theoden's alive or dead, yeah. whether the Deeping Wall stands or has been breached, yeah. uh, who's got the most models within the Hornburg, um, who's, got, uh, who's got the most characters. So if evil have killed more, or good have saved more. However, it never gives you a stipulation, but given it's an even number for a draw, it never it makes no stipulation for four. <laughs> right. Um, and then who's got the most models on the causeway? Okay, yeah, that can make I like those. So I think... And I, then it gives you very specific um, sort of ideas for um, when things happen. So ride outs from turn eight onwards, um Look to my coming is uh, when the turn 10 onwards is the relief force and it gives you some stipulations of the bomb within three inches of the culvert to blow up the wall. Right. Okay. I like, yeah, I like all of that. And I think it gives a good basis. I, I When I read it, I thought, well, this is going to be the basis for what we do. And it's about what we bring in from the other things to, to refine it and um, make sure these things happen if possible. Um, I like the, the, the idea of those objectives. I still like the idea of maybe working in some some key points where you can earn VPs as well that maybe aid those happening. So rather than just having them at the Hornberg, I quite like a point where maybe you can score in victory points overall for models being there, but that maybe we can kind of have a couple of points that um, that all the characters need to be at, like I said, to trigger the ride out actually happening or something. So Yeah, I suppose you can have what you consider the overall strategic objectives and then you'd have your narrative objectives exactly exactly we might be able to have them both in there as long as we some of them might do the same thing so we can you know drop one or two but they might putting the narrative scenarios in there especially if they work well and dovetail with the strategic ones that would be really good because i think that makes it more likely it's going to happen um yeah and then it also gives some really good sort of guides to the number of models required and i did sort of put it down that it's 95 Uruks plus a Ballista. Yes. And obviously Ballista Crews, that's quite a lot of models to paint. But it does say also say 16 Berserkers, which I like. Yeah. So, so, so some models. I did some did some number crunching on that. Um, I want to come back to the special rules in a minute as well, because there's some some more other than objectives, but we'll... Uh, um, so I did some number crunching on the, um, on the armies, and I did it quickly, so I probably made some mistakes here. But the 
The Defenders of Helm's Deep army, I believe, is 2,499 points, made up of 355 in the Hornburg, 1,002 on the wall, and 787 for the relief. As I said, I might have like, missed the odd thing off here and there. I, did it. I didn't double-check it. I just sort of whacked it out of my calculator quite quickly. But gives us a, 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 a sort of similar... It gives us a basic idea. And then the Assault on Helm's Deep um, is 2,019, and that includes ladders. Um, I did notice that there's no, unless I've missed it, there's no battering ram included in the uh, evil list. No, um, you'd have to pay for that in addition. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but, but because it's not a match play game anyway, if you're going to follow, if you were following the it to the, the letter, you wouldn't have a battering ram unless I've missed something. Um, so th- it seems very focused on the deeping wall riding out. Locking down ladders. This is the special rules on it, and and the causeway. It doesn't feel like I don't know. It's, it it doesn't feel like it's giving you any tools or any focus on breaking down the main door, unless I'm missing something. Yeah, it's um. I can't see it. I might have missed it, but I can't see it. So, and that's something we've definitely. I don't know if it's an oversight or just designed to make the game play differently, or or maybe it's designed to allow that the ride out to happen. Because maybe by complicating things, it might be a little bit harder. But you're not going to, you're going to might struggle to break down that door, um, unless you're doing it from range. Um, but yeah, so I, the battering ram um, would it's only 50, 15 points. It's not a lot, and I've got one. I think it would look cool. So that's definitely going to be going on the list. Um, but. Yeah, it's quite. I mean, there's no trolls in that list, and I think that's because there's no trolls visible in the film, is there? Um, but no, it's a more a book thing. It's definitely, and I, and I definitely want to make sure some are there, um, just because it'll look cool, um, and it will help with things like breaking down the the doors and things like that. So there's obviously just smaller amount of of evil force there. Um, I don't know unless my maths are wrong. It just feels like. There's not enough. It might depend on the model, and, and maybe we'll find that it's easier to break. To, maybe it's the blowing up the wall, and once you've blown up the wall, it's easy to get through. It just feels like there's a lot of points there that are tied up in those heroes, probably. So that's where your points are, and the relief force. But it does feel like maybe it's just, again they make it. A, they deliberately make it a bit of a challenge, don't they, to the side that actually loses. Um, so that you don't just have this kind of Isengard winning every. You know, Eight out of ten times you play it, or something like that. Um, but I feel like we need more attackers. Um, I probably, but ma- probably my maths, I probably added up wrong. But it just, it just feels like it's well, it's like five hundred points less already, isn't it? And it doesn't have anything to knock down the door with. So <laughs> it just feels like there feels like that needs addressing slightly. But um, so what are the special rules? So we've got ride out with hope fading fast. They didn't um, decide. Uh, so that's the start of eighth turn, isn't it? That they can ride out. The start of turn eight. Yeah. Uh, and any turn that follows. Any good hero model within six inches of the gates of Hornburg that could be mounted on a horse immediately gain a mount. I quite like that. We will probably use something very, very similar. I quite like the idea of having to have a certain number of them to get there together to, to trigger it. And it all happens. You don't want them kind of riding out in, in dribs and drabs. Um... Um, deep in war, unbeknownst to the thing, so siege bomb that's the three inch thing you mentioned, isn't it? So, yeah, I think we just that seems pretty straightforward to copy that rule and follow it because it's 
was the way it's designed, doesn't it? Look to my coming as well. So good players, tenth move phase. We'll have to work that out as well because if we do add a lot more evil forces, then we might need to leave a bit more of a gap from when we think that those things need to be done. So we'll have a little play around with that and that, the timing of those things. Um, you might have to set it as not before a certain turn, but or and or triggered by forces being below a certain level or something as well to make sure that the game doesn't end before some Corbett's happen. Um, but yeah, let's say it's got the knocking down ladders roll again, which is part of the main rule book. So Sam, Dan and I talked a lot there. I'm not giving you much chance to talk, but what are your thoughts on it? I, I like it. Um, you can definitely tell the uh, the quality of the new books and how everything's a lot more thought out. And I think this is the like the backbone to go with out of everything is, is my general overview of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be anyway. I assumed it was going to be. Um, it seems like the, the core, I just feel like I want to add some more bits to it. And and those bits from those early scenarios that we read, the battle reports that we read and, and those other um, scenarios, with the, I like the objectives, so I want to squeeze those objective points in there as well and try and use them as a way to trigger. So we got the what triggers the ride out, and similar, but maybe there's a, a different way of doing it. Um, that trying just just something, a way of scoring VPs that kind of makes the defending player want to move Aragorn away from the deeping wall and into the main keep that gives him a point to do that rather than staying there and trying to deal with the what is hopefully hordes of um, or it's coming through a breached wall. Hopefully, we're not sitting on turn seven and uh, you haven't managed to breach the wall because you keep rolling ones or something like that <laughs> um, uh, we might even be able to set it that you that if by turn five or something or six that you haven't done it the wall just explodes as if it has happened because we can again we don't want to we want some of these things to happen excuse me because it'll be fun so maybe we can we can kind of uh, rely on uh, some fail safes and some timings that if something hasn't automatically happened something hasn't happened by a certain period that we just it just triggers um but um yeah i thought it was good i just want to add in some of those other elements that um add different special rules and things to really add the flavor to it and um and and, and make it into a very narrative a fun experience um and then to to Back up that. So after later on in the the war in Ro, uh, the the war in Rohan book, um, there are if I find it, there are some siege rules. Um, and but there are siege rules in the main book as well. So I suppose we'll talk about these both at the same time, really. Um, so in the main rule book on pages one hundred and twenty to one hundred and twenty three, you have the siege rules, and I'm not going to read them out. There's not much there at all, to be honest with you. There's three pages with text on. Um, and they essentially give you some basic guidelines of how you move around the fortress or castle, how you move around through doors and things, how you'd manage stairs, fighting on stairs, um, assaulting fortresses. It tells you how to attack doors and um, all of that kind of stuff. It's got the rules for siege ladders in there and, and rules for battering ram. Um I don't know what else to say about it other than that, really. It just gives you kind of some guidance about how you transfer what is normally a more of an open battlefield into into there. Compared to some other game systems, the terrain already does quite a lot anyway. It's quite often multi-level, heights used. You can defend um, barriers and doorways. You don't get that in AOS and stuff, I don't think, anyway, um, as much anyway. So some of that kind of 
game mechanics already built into the rules, um, if that makes sense. But it, it just helps yeah. us anyway. I, all I can take away from that is that we will we will look at the model and we'll have to have some a good sensible chat about what's what because the doors don't open internally on the castle the way I've built it. So we'll just have to have some agreements about if you get near that door, you can go in and if you go in, you can come out through this bit and that bit and just be sensible about how long it would take for them to get to one point and, and come out the other side, so to speak. Um, Cause you can, you could sort of enter the walls where you can't actually get in and fight the in, on the model into the depths of the castle which you might have to say well they can they can enter that way but they don't do anything for the whole next turn they're removed from the board and then they can come in on the door on the other side or something like that um if they wanted to do that if it was again say theoden wanted to get hide and go in the door and come back out with his horse or something like that but um and if you guys had a little flip through that the main rule book for, for the siege yeah. rules it's not i don't think there's a lot to really comment on predominantly there. moving about and then yeah. I, I actually found the ram rules quite interesting obviously being the highest strength of the models attached to it plus and then adding a point for every model extra i thought that's a great little mechanic and it's probably one of the best ways i've seen rams done yes yeah yeah i quite like it um Sam, have you got anything from that? You don't obviously not to put you on a spot or anything, but um, I don't know if you had a flip through that. But it was, it, it's not a lot. It's pretty straightforward, really. And we're not going to kind of read out the rules here. No one, people have got the rule books at home; they probably know the rules already. No, I'm 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 happy with it. It's probably something that I just need to have a have a read over before we before we start because it's one of those things that doesn't get brought up a lot. No, no, and I will read it again before before we play. Um, just because, you know, we read it a few times just to make sure that it's running smooth on the day. But it's really really very straightforward stuff. And then you've got um, in in War and Rohan. So we come back to that book again. You've actually got some additional siege rules, um, which makes sense that it came out with. With, with Helm's Deep, I suppose. They've just added some some extra stuff for Siege games. Um, and you've got some some rules about attacking doors and gates and things, and you've actually got the defence and the wounds of, of those particular things. So we'll have to look at those and decide whether any of those doors match exactly what we've got and decide whether we want to make up our own defence and wounds for those doors and things um, to make sure like we'll have to choose something for the main door. So the heavily armoured door there is Defence 9 and has uh, two wounds. Um, so it's going to be quite hard to wound, um, but with a battering ram, how quickly is it going to break down? So we might want to consider, do we want to put extra wounds on the on the main door to make sure that it it's a challenge to break down, but that, that it does actually break down with a reasonable amount of time, that kind of thing. Um, and then you've got some fun stuff. You've got three more pages. You've got two pages of defender equipment, and then you've got a page of attacker equipment. Um, I think we're not going to, you know, there's no point in using it all. Some stuff that won't matter, but I'll, I'll read out what the main defender equipment is. So you've got a rallying point, um, which basically works as a banner. Um, that could be useful, especially if we haven't got too many banners in the list or banners die. Um, and, and again, effectively a horn within six inches as well. Yeah, so that could be useful, um, and that could negate. When you talk about the not taking courage tests, that could be a way around it. That maybe we don't um, auto pass courage, but we do that. I don't know. It's, it's worth looking at, um, but it could be. We could. I don't know. We could potentially use a, a rallying. Those rallying points could be those points that you get people towards as well. So to, to trigger certain narrative bits. So there might be a way of working that in. Um, barricades. 
Um, I don't think we'll use anything like that. I think we've got once once the the castle's not really set up with like a secondary barricades and stuff. So I don't think we'll do it. I think that would be good if you were doing siege games, not set a helm's deep. This is obviously generic siege rules. Spiked barricade again. You know that's not something that's on the model that we're using, and I don't remember seeing in the film, so I can't imagine us using those um, rocks um, potentially. We could potentially throw some rocks and things down, but... Um, definitely on the gatehouse, because it's, yeah, it's definitely featured in the movie. That exactly, and that's cheap as well. It's like five points, so that would be fun to add a few things like that, add some flavour. Um, boiling oil, I can't remember seeing it. I can't remember or not whether there was boiling oil in thrown down on the on the Uruks or not, but there's, a, there's an option there. It's 30 points as well. Um, but um, definitely fun in, in generic siege games. And then in attacker equipment, you've got Siege Tower, well, they didn't have any Siege Towers. Um, they do it in Minas Tirith, so you'd use them for that, so we won't be using those. And then there's Siege Ladders and Battering Rams, where well, we already know that we've know we we've got we've to use those. Um, so it seems pretty straightforward. But um, you guys got any thoughts on the additional rules? Anything that, that sort of stands out to you that you think we must use or, or shouldn't use? Uh, not particularly. I think we covered a lot of it. Obviously, rocks, I think, definitely have a, a place. We need to talk about how we want to do the morale, etc. for rally points. Although yeah. I think there is still a space that we just ignore the horn part and still give them the 50%. It's true. Um, but have banners. And we don't, have to, we don't have to particularly make that an army list thing because obviously you're paying points for it there. But if we're making it as part of the scenario and it becomes a rally point that like we said that's a, a objective as well that earned you vps for for getting there um but we can also give it that ability might well solve the courage thing as well so to speak so we don't lose or so we don't lose as many men because remember some are courage some are failing courage doesn't mean they've run away they often they lost casualties because you could say that they just kind of in despair they uh threw down the sword and got killed as well so it's you just want to reduce the the the, the effect of mass crumble and if we've got a few of those dotted around that might naturally do that um um but yeah sam have you got any Anything you you've seen in those few pages that makes you stand out? You want to talk about or no? Nothing from me. Cool. And then there's one final bit. So at the end of the the attack equipment, there's one page, and we move into scenarios. Um, and there's two kind of CG scenarios. Um, one's defend the village, which we won't discuss because it's, uh, it's it's a very different kind of siege game. And then there is the grand siege, which is just like a generic siege scenario. And the only thing that I think that might be might help us um, is they're talking about attacker and defender, um, and it says the attacker may have up to twenty five percent more points than the defender. So um, again, I'm just looking for things as a guide so that when we're looking at the balance in the forces, so that we have a good game, does that uh, do the job? And I think we should sort of factor in buying rocks and all those kind of things into it as well um so if, if i end up with or i say the defenders end up with what we're looking at i think might be like 1800 points worth of defenders looking at the models we got we're going to need quite a lot of quite a lot of isengard um, but i just thought i would uh, mention that that scenario because while it's a generic scenario it does give a hint on how you would how you'd kind of match up the games yeah, I definitely don't think we should use the um, victory conditions, though. No, 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 definitely not. 12 models inside, it'll be a case of, uh, <laughs> let's just take some Crobane. <laughs> oh, wait. See you later. Done. 
Um, yeah, I think there's some. I like the fact that if you open the gates, they stay open. It's impassable of them, ladders, that kind of thing. Obviously, lose some of the relevance in what we're doing because there's already specialist rules that supersede an awful lot of that. But in order to create your own sieges, or you know, if there were other outlying sort of feudal lord keeps in the kingdom of Rohan, you know, yeah. what, what few stone built buildings there may be, you could run that kind of thing. Totally agree. Totally agree. Right then. So I think we've kind of waded towards the end of this massive discussion. Um, it's going to be sort of heading on to two hours probably the time we actually finish. Um, so thank you for the people that have sort of stuck with us. But we just wanted to kind of, um, we haven't had this conversation prior to, to recording this. So we just wanted to kind of record it and, and, and discuss really our thought processes of how we setting up the game. Knowing that, that, that some of you lovely people will probably message us in and say, well, have you thought about this? Have you tried this? Or I've played, we did a Helm's Deep so battle X amount of time ago and we found this really worked well and this didn't work well, etc, etc. So please, please, please do get in touch because it's not something we're going to be playing in the next couple of weeks. It's going to take us a bit more planning and a lot of painting yet before we're able to do it. And we need to also need to be um covid needs to be playing ball for us to be able to get together and do it as well but um what are our overall conclusions and i suppose we take it in turn and think about take it in turns and think about the things that 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 we've picked up on from those things what are the main things that you like to that like to happen in the game sam that are key to you things you'd like to see and things you'd like to avoid um i'd like to see some bombs getting used if i'm honest (laughs) I'd i'd like to see that whole blowing up the wall and making it so that the evil side can charge charge in really i'm not not so fussed about going up the ramp to the gate door but uh blowing up the wall i'd like to see some uh bombs getting used i agree it's got to happen <laughs> any other things though we've discussed it as we go in along have you got any other? that's the the main thing you want to see is there any kind of any things that you feel really strongly about, like as you want to do a mixture of book and film, or you want to do just film or just book, um, that you really against the film bit and you want Aimer on the walls and not not riding with, with Gandalf, or anything like that stands out to you? Or No, I just want it to be a fun game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. definitely, short, and, definitely. short and sweet, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. I th- well, I think we've covered the things we liked through this is you know like a like any conclusion in a, in a massive essay it shouldn't be any surprises in there um you should have already covered it in the in the bulk of the discussion what about yourself dan well i think um like sam it's gonna be fun i think again harking back to the old uh staffer days big games you know people slope off obviously not in the, our case but you lose enthusiasm quickly if you don't keep up momentum and you need to mm-hmm. um still have the clearly defined objectives um as such i think the Battle of Helm's Deep, as in War in Rohan, is definitely a really solid base, looking at your five objective points, but then taking certain rules from a lot of the other scenarios, cherry-picking them, for instance. Um, you know, you've, you've got your uh, Uruks on the walls. When they um, bring the ladder up, they get the model pushed onto the battlements. You've got your other rules, sort of... Um, I still think the uh, ignoring the 50% casualty for... Um, courage is worth looking at it just depends how we work the lists out i think that's a case of internal balancing yeah and um, there's loads of different good things in there obviously the plus one strength to charges here and there looking yeah. at the way it respawns and above all other things maximum berserkers as many berserkers as we can get on the board. <laughs> 
all berserkers, just nothing else but berserkers. You, you trying to come up with your own tagline now is going to be, yeah, <laughs> put it on a t-shirt, yeah, maximum, maximum berserker. berserkers. Yeah. You, you need to... Although uh, the uh, 40k people are getting on that, and we don't want <laughs> You need to buy yourself a box of berserkers and start painting them then. I think I've Well, if back. they came in boxes, I would. I would literally run an entire army of berserkers if it were possible. I, got, I can't remember how many I've got. It might be like many as fifteen. It could be just eight or something. I can't remember. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's ten, fifteen. Not enough. Um, um, but um, I think I you know it's not going to be any surprises. I've, I've mentioned the things I want to see all along. I want the I want there to be a grand game, and I want it to feel predominantly like the film. Um, I probably want. Uh, there's a bit of me that says, do we do, do we go book and stick Aimer on the walls? But I'm thinking now, we want to. I want to see him on that horse charging down with with Gandalf, and that was quite apparent from looking into this earlier on. Is that I really want to do the relief part of it, which does add some time to it. It does mean painting, you know, the the rest of my Rohan collection and the new Aimer. But I was going to do that anyway. Um, so I do want the relief to happen. I do want the ride out to happen. Um, I would, like Sam, I want the, the wall to blow up. I'd probably, you know, I, I, there's a part of me that likes that to happen before the door breaks. Um, so whether we just, whether that's just a, a deployment thing that it's easier for to get the, the berserkers towards there than it is to the door, so that naturally happens, or whether we kind of set some, you know, just some built-in time limits that the... Uh, the door can't break till turn four or something like that. Or you know, do you know what I mean? Just, just just little subtle things like that that kind of force the narrative a little bit. Um, I do like the idea of having multiple ways of scoring VPs, though, so that so there's still a game within the, the narrative thing, um, and a way of driving those key scenario points. And, and I quite like the idea of some kind of objectives in there that that it's good to get certain characters to at certain points. So it makes it feel like the film, but you get VPs for doing it. So you've got your game within a game. Um, and, and it means that if the game's going badly as well, you can still get VPs and it'll be really interesting to see how that comes out. So I think I think it's all there. The, the headache's going to be pulling it all together and, um, and making it work. And, and, and I suppose the, 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 the thing is we're not going to get to play test this scenario to make sure it's perfect. It's going to be our experience, so we probably need to be flexible on the day, rather than being stubborn if something's not working. Just change it um, uh, in order to have n- a better game. No, we're all narrative-focused gamers anyway, aren't we? So, um, so it may be that something's really not working on the day. We need to change it. It may be that um, that, that 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 something it's too easy or too hard and we need to change it. So we'll just, we'll, we will keep that in mind. Um, but as I said, I do want it to be a game as well. I do want it to feel like we're making choices to try and tell that story and get VPs for doing it. And I quite like the idea of maybe we can get VPs for doing stuff as it's supposed to happen. Um, or whether we have two sets of VPs, so you get your narrative VP points and you get your game VP points or something like that as well. So a bit like when you go to an event and you have soft scores and uh, <laughs> game scores, maybe we can uh, one side by win the battle but the other side wins the narrative battle who knows but I think if we all come up with between us um, there's enough ideas there now to kind of to try and um, take that final scenario I think and and sort something out and get it written up and get it drawn up and printed up and stuff um, um, we'll have to see who's who's good at doing 
doing stuff with you like you, you you're always on publisher aren't you sam sam sorry dan dan's always on publisher aren't you or are you not anymore? yeah okay i can do that i'm gonna to need to buy a new laptop for that but <laughs> I'm, due, I'm due one anyway well let's see how they go well no it doesn't matter as long as it's as long as it's we can view it as a pdf anyway but it might be nice to have something printable out which is cool to work with as well so um we'll see how that goes that's not the most important thing of course um any of you got anything else you want to add, really? I suppose a lot of it's going to be... We're going to be talking a lot about the painting, aren't we, of this and the building of this. I wrote a list based partly on my collection, not wanting to buy ridiculous amounts of extra models that I don't use in this one game, but also what they look like visually. And I've got a... Without any extra, like, siege bits added, I think it worked out to about around 1,700 points of defenders. And that's not including the relief section. So we have to factor that in as well. I've not even looked at that list. So oh, my elves. <laughs> your elves. Well, that's the thing. And if we add your elves as well as my elves, then we'll need a lot more normal Rohan. So I think it'll just be a case of for you. You want to use your elves, you bring yours, and we, we don't put mine on the table for the game um, because of the... You bringing your owls means we need to like twice as many normal Rohan warriors, which then has a massive knock-on effect of how many Isengarders we need as well. Um, but the, the seventeen hundred points list does include like twenty-eight elves, and so it is anyway. Um, and I think there's about forty um, regular Rohan, and then all the main heroes that you see in the film and on that uh, Defendant of Helm's Deep list. Um, and it's not too far off what's on the, the Force list anyway for the for the for the the the, um, the one in the Roy and Rohan book, the difference is, I think, is there's, there's extra characters in there. I've got Royal Guard as well, which aren't on the list in the scenario, and I don't know if Royal Guard weren't there. I imagine they would be, but I've got those models because I've got them for my wider Rohan collection anyway, so they will be being used. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll work that part out. So you're bringing your elves, then I'll decrease the number of elves I've got to, to, to match what you need, so to speak. So even if you need a few of mine... Um, yeah, and we'll see how we go. But there's going to be a lot of painting need that needs doing, especially with with Isengard stuff. Cool. Have you guys got anything you want to say before we let these people go who are very bored of us talking about a game they're not going to play? Thank you for persevering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I have no idea whether this is going to be interesting for people or not. It's um, it's definitely a different kind of section. Um, but I really would appreciate the input in terms of uh, what would you do. How would you balance the game? Um, what kind of list would you do? Would you scrap? Would you just not bother with the legendary legions? Would you just do this or that? I would be really interested in what other people think. And if they've had experience playing big siege games, let us know how it went. Um, right then. So we'll go for a break now. And when we come back, it will be time for an heroic deathmatch. Hello and welcome to another heroic death match. And who have we got this episode, Dan? Well, we have uh, Snaga versus Ugluck. Mm-hmm. So I'm just taking a swig of a drink because I like, timed that really, really badly. So we thought we'd do a kind of a mini, they're not really, not really a series because uh, they're, they're only linked in a narrative sense. But we thought we'd, for the next three shows, starting with this one, we do three little matchups that kind of run on from each other quite closely in the two in the two towers film. Um, so, so today we have Ugluk and and Snaga fighting over um, hobbits and how tasty they are. Um, 
And then we don't need their legs. We don't need their legs. And we'll um ooh, they look tasty. Um we'll um we'll leave you guessing what the next two may be. We're not gonna announce them now. Um but for this show, that's why we've gone with this one. So Dan, who are you gonna be today? In true style, I have gone for the underdog once more, Snagger, who is an orc captain at fifty points. He is an orc, funnily enough. He is got the mortal keyword and he's an infantry hero and a hero of fortitude at that. So a sneaky and vindictive orc, Snaga was part of a band of orcs that were sent by Sauron to keep an eye upon the actions of his puppet Saruman. Along with Bishnak and his orcs, Snaga met with Ugluk's warband of Urukai scouts following their capture of Merry and Pippin in order to take the halflings back to Isengard. Yet having not eaten in days, Snaga's mind turns towards eating their prisoners, a train of thought that lands Snaga becoming the main course. So uh, I think most people who have seen the film knows how that ends. So we're <laughs> going to try and recreate that. So a quick run through of his stats. So he's move six, fight four slash five plus, strength four, defense five, two attacks, two wounds, courage of three. He has three points of might, one of will and one of fate. And he's got armor and a sword. His heroic action is heroic challenge. So uh, in this case, perhaps less useful uh, he is a servant of Mordor so Snaga may only ever include orc models in his warband and he has the cunning mind rule though he may not possess much in the way of martial skill Snaga is a cage orc that has his own agenda so Snaga can choose not to take part in a friendly hero model's heroic action and still be able to act as normal later in the phase even if by not participating as part of heroic action he would normally not be able to act that turn additionally if Snaga chooses to participate in a friendly hero's heroic action he does not have to remain within the specific range of the hero. So again, not strictly relevant to this, but it's a pretty nifty little rule. And then a broader battle could prove to be very interesting, particularly with uh, a lot of reasonably cheap characters floating around in those lists. You could potentially make, you know, take good advantage of that. Yeah, it's probably one of those things that there's so many kind of small little interactions there that that could be really, really useful that that, that don't necessarily come to mind, whether it's even just... Um, not being part of a an heroic move and then moving in a different direction to 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 stay in, you know to go towards an objective or to do his own heroics or something it's quite it's quite interesting it'll be be interesting to see how people use him in game whether he gets in many competitive lists I'm not sure but fun little fun little model right yeah. so um, he's up against as we already said Ugluk so Ugluk in is Urukai Isengard infantry hero of fortitude at 65 points um he is move 6 fight 5 4 strength 5 defense 5 two attacks two wounds courage of 4 and then might 3 one will one fate so pretty standard for the sort of fortitude level there with the uh, the three one one he has an armor and sword as well um has more heroics so he has march strike and strength obviously strikes are our favorites um on deathmatch and gets used a lot and will probably get used again today um he has his special rules he has something called head taker and it won't be useful in this um in this matchup today but basically means that um if his force is broken he can um, choose to kill a friendly warrior within two inches of himself. Um, and um, he does that instead of taking a, a courage test. And if he does that, he passes his courage and he, then his standfast becomes 12 inches. And I think he can affect both warriors and heroes with that. So really useful in game. Um, not useful in the slightest in our on our little basic uh, death, death matchups we have. Right then. 
shall we get into it? Um, let me, so I should say, Dan's been complaining about the, the, the one ring dice that I use, that they, they're all too many sixes. So I've <laughs> cracked open um, cracked open the correct dice. Today. So I've got some, some Isengard dice in my hand. Um, so we'll see whether they roll sixes as well. I've never rolled these ones, so I have no idea whether they're as, as, as lovely um, as the as the one ring ones. Um, so obviously there's no heroics from you. Um, I will be spending my first point of might to strike. So let's roll that and see what we get with that. Um, I have rolled a five. So you're fight eight. Excellent. Versus my measly fight four. (laughs) (laughs) Right then. So. Uh, Come on, you sixes. Oh, talking of sixes. I have rolled a six and a four. And you've rolled a five and a two. So uh, Uh, things continue as as they um, so often do. Um, so I need fours, um, and I have rolled. I can't see the parcel come. I've rolled one. Shall I make that two? Yes, I'm going to spend another might and make that two. Right, well, I've definitely taken a wound either way. Can I make this uh, four up fate save? And I don't. Uh, dead one. So he's literally, as he does in the movie, <laughs> cut his head clean off in one swing. There we go. Thematic. Thematic. People will uh, stop listening to this. Well, no, I think they just. I think they'd, imagine people are just grateful that it does end so quickly, because it's completely pointless. But we we have so much fun doing it. Hey, this is the only dice we get to roll this year under these current circumstances. So, so I was thinking about this earlier as I was just reading through the profiles in preparation for for recording this. I was thinking, this is this is the only dice I've been rolling. I, I didn't focus on gaming at all in the first sort of two months of the year because I was planning for Flotsam and Jetsam. So all my spare time was like, no, I won't go to club. I'm not going to arrange a game. I'm going to get down and get these 10 tables terrain built. Um, and then, duh, nothing happens. <laughs> so I've, I think I've only played one game this year. So it's, and that's so one game since Throne of Skulls. So me throwing these dice, we've, we, we set up, we've got, we've got cameras that we set up on our, um, on dice trays so we can both see where each other's rolling. So it's far more exciting for us as it is for you guys. Um, but if you do like listening to them and you do have ideas, please do continue to send your, so, you know, your, your, your matchups in. Right then. Um, I don't know. Have you got any any kind of anything you want to summarise from that? Really, I think it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's there's the fairly evenly matched characters, um, and strike I, is big. Yeah, uh, I do think that Snag is actually not necessarily there's great value for his points. I don't know whether that's because Hug looks not bad for sixty five. Yeah, or whether Snag is a little bit expensive at fifty because of his passive effect, his cunning mind. I don't mm. necessarily think that's worth perhaps the points that he is. I think it's probably his defense five. I think it's his special rules, isn't it? Um, what's the the servant of Mordor rules again? Allows him just to... can only have red orcs in his warband. It's not oh, actually okay. a positive. So you could take them anyway, um, couldn't you? Um, so it's whether so you um, you you tournament gamers out there, um, if you can think of some sneaky tricks that cunning mind will will do that make him worth those points, please uh, please enlighten us because I think that's probably what it is. There's probably some interactions there that that those with uh, clever and more experienced gaming minds um, will be able to say, yeah, yeah, I'll take it because it means you can do this or that. But um, maybe not, maybe not. But uh, write in or messages and let us know. Right, we will go for a short break and then we'll come back and close the show out.
And here we are again at the end of another show. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation about Helm's Deep and uh, the latest heroic deathmatch. So, um, usual stuff at the end of the show, sort of thank you, shout outs, announcements and things. Um, I've got something to talk about with Flotsam and Jetsam. So before I start rabbiting on Dan, have you uh, got anything you want to talk about at the end of the show? Any announcements or anything? No, just the usual. Um, once again, uh, Legion of Peterborough has reopened. Um, basically, uh, if you want to come down to Peterborough in uh, a nice, uh, safe environment, and uh, I can now speak from having been down, it is definitely um, very well thought out. It is very safe, as much as any of these things can be at the moment. Um, pop on to the Legion of Peterborough Facebook group, uh, join up, and um, state your interest if you'd like to come down. Full um, instructions are on the event pages for for every fortnightly uh, meeting that we have and uh, yeah come have some games i'd love to play some middle earth there's not much going on at the moment so uh, if you want to come down and play me get on there yeah absolutely i wish i was closer because I'd, I'd i'd pop down and, and have a game i say that i'm not even making it down my local at the moment i'm just so busy but um <laughs> with a period where my one-year-old is going for that i'm not going to go to sleep at night i'm going to wait till 10 or 11 o'clock before i fall asleep but, it's all good fun, but it does mean that uh, one or two of my either my wife or myself are generally in his room a lot later than we want to be. So sneaking off to the game store in the evening is probably not highest on the priority. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Flotsam and Jetsam in a moment. Before I do that, um, it's been a couple of days since we recorded the, the first part of the show, the intro, and we talked about what we're doing. I just wanted to note that I listened to the latest Green Dragon today, and it's got Harry and, and Lockyer on there, um, and they're... Uh, they're chatting with Jeremy just about the sort of running running a media platform, I suppose. So running a YouTube stroke um, podcast. And it's quite interesting. It's obviously someone that's run a couple of podcasts now and, and got a, a very young and fledgling YouTube channel. It's interesting to hear them. They're talking about their own experiences and things. So I found it very interesting. Um, and I know that, um, that a lot of people listen to podcasts or watch YouTube don't really understand all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes to make these things happen. Um, so if, yeah, if you, I'm sure most of you have already listened to it, but I just want to say I really enjoyed it. And I know that uh, at least two of the guys listen to this. So uh, yeah, good show, guys. Really enjoyed listening to it today. But more importantly, um, in terms of announcements at the end of the show, rather than something we normally put at the beginning, um, by the time this show goes out, I'd have already announced, unfortunately, that Flotsam and Jetsam that was rearranged from March to October um, isn't going ahead this year. Um, for I'm sure that's not a massive surprise to a lot of people. Um, there are events going ahead at the moment. But the Flotsam and Jetsam started as um, well. It's not even started really, but it was <laughs> was with the plan was to start as a as a as a unique or semi unique doubles event. It was nice and laid back, lots of lots of fluffy um, soft scores and painting awards and things. And that was the vision for it in 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 March. Um, and then when that got postponed because of COVID, it got added to the same weekend as the singles I was planning, um, and. Um, and it's just not going to be not going to be possible. Sadly, um, I could potentially go ahead and run a singles event, um, but it's just not really the vision I had for um, for Flotsam and Jetsam. I think once the two events got merged together, it was going to be a, a much of a sort of a gaming weekend with as many people going to the first day as going to the second as possible. Um, hopefully, with a, you know, a few people hanging around in the evening on a bit of a night out in Cheltenham. 
and um, I didn't really fancy kind of running a, a 10 man sing- singles which is all we really have the space for in common while socially distancing with masks on it wasn't really my vision for what the first Flotsam and Jetsam was, was going to be um, and the main reason that it's not, not running on the, on the Saturday the doubles is because it's doubles and so there's, there are events going on at the moment that are socially distanced with small groups of people but you can't socially distance from your doubles partner um, I very much doubt that any of the the doubles teams um, come from the same household <laughs> which would technically be the only technical way that they could stand next to each other with while not socially distancing um, and, and that was the main reason behind it I had a long conversation with the store owner um, earlier this week and we just you know from, from 40 people that were, were due to come along to the doubles um, in a bar stroke store so it's kind of a it's non-traditional it's not a big hall um, so it makes it harder to socially distance um, a large number of people it was just never going to work and I didn't I didn't want to be in a situation where I was asking three quarters of the people not to come along um, whittle it down to ten maybe and say right you're going to play singles it's just not, not what I wanted to do and, and likewise I didn't want to then um, cut down the singles that was probably planned up to sort of 36 people or 32 people sorry on, on the Sunday down to sort of the similar numbers um, so we are where we are with that now, if you are listening to this and you do have a ticket and you've not seen any of the posts in the group and the, and the event page and things, um, oh, I can't imagine that. But if you are listening to this and you are supposed to be coming, then of course you can have your money back. Um, you can get in contact with me. Um, but what I'd really like everyone to do is to carry their ticket over um, to the event that's planned next year, which I've talked about on the show before. So on uh, in July, I believe, the 10th and 11th, um, he says, while well, he's getting his phone out to double check that I'm not picking the wrong dates out. Um, so the 10th and 11th of July 2021, the dates I've got booked in for Flotsam and Jetsam, and it will follow the, the, what I was planning to do this year, really, with the, the doubles on the Saturday and a smaller singles event on the Sunday with people from the doubles hopefully coming along to the singles as well, though they are two separate events in terms of ticketing. So you don't have to do both. You could do one or the other. Um, so anyone who has a ticket for this year's Flotsam and Jetsam are able to carry that ticket over to next year. Um, and it may well be slightly cheaper than, than the, if any tickets had to be resold when the changes of the events and stuff and my cost will go up for that. So you might well save you a couple of quid. Um, you, definitely wouldn't, um, you definitely wouldn't lose money by doing it. Um, and then I will announce stuff to do with the singles later on, probably in the new year. There's no point in me announcing numbers and selling tickets for singles and I mean, nearly... 10 months away from the event um, especially with our current situation it would just be silly um, I'm, I'm funding the refunds out of my own pocket and this isn't a violin moment, it's just a reality of it um, we were a week away from the event when it was first postponed so the money was all spent on prizes um, I've got quite, there was there was goodie bags for people with, with some tokens and all kinds of these different things in um, and I got lots of trophies in and, and so I'd spent it all um, let alone the scenery that I bought on top and that was not out of the budget from the event either that's something I paid for myself because I, I wanted to keep it myself so I didn't want to pay for it with, with event money But so I invested quite a lot of money into it um, I'm obviously more than happy to give people their money back because they haven't come to an event but I would like people that, that are interested in coming to the event next year to maybe consider carrying that over so I'm, my pocket is not quite so hurt in the short term hopefully by next year when all the tickets are resold for those people that have returned them I will be 
you know, back level again because all the stuff I've got, apart from a box of 100 Freddos, which is going to go out of date on the 7th of January, um, everything else I've got is is usable um, next year. So by the time I run get to run the event again, I will break even again. But in the short term, I could be... I suppose in the tune up to four hundred pounds out of pocket. So um, bear with me when I deal with the refunds. Um, but um, get in contact with me if you're hearing this for the first time and you have a ticket. Um, the people that have already come. The last bit on this. People that have already got tickets this year and keep them. Well, obviously they they will fill up the event first. Once I'm in a situation where I know if we do have spare spaces, they will be advertised and sold as normal, but I'm not going to do that until the new year. It's, it's too far off at the moment. I don't want to be taking money f- from people um, and having to give it back to them. So we'll uh, we'll carry those over, the, the people that want to. Um, those that, that know they definitely won't be coming next year and don't want to come next year want a refund, I will do it. If you do have a refund... Um, you will have to wait till they go back on general sale and, and sort of join the, the, the rush again to get tickets uh, like last time. I think they sold out in a couple of hours last time. So if you think you might want to go, maybe best to hold on to them. Right. Thought um, so, a bit of a long-winded announcement at the end of the thing, but I wanted to get it, wanted to get it out there in an audio format as well. So... Thanks for listening. Um, do all the usual stuff. So head over, like our Facebook page, join our Facebook group, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can email us at ootfb at podcast at gmail.com if you don't use any of those social media and check out our YouTube channel as well. The links are all in the show notes. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you soon with we'll probably talk about AMR and um, the Best of White Dwarf book. Ah!